The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, starting a brand new week here in December with the 15 and 60 for the Western Conference. And we decided to do a little experiment here. Danny and I look at the Warriors so much and we wanted to assign that team to Liam so we could get a little bit more of a fresh eyes on them because Danny and I are probably more steeped in the minutia of that team to see if we can get maybe more of a 10,000 foot view of what's going on with these guys. So uh, Liam, take it away, man. Sure, so I'll see what I can come up with. So six and one since the last, 15 and 60 they're on a six game road winning streak 21 and 6 overall net rating of 12.8 that's best in the league offensive rating 114 best in the league defensive rating 101 third best in the league so the last two games without Steph they haven't been very good offensive performances and they've been winning defensively the offense the main problem with the offense is whenever Durant's sitting so they have a 79 offensive rating in the 20 minutes that he's sat over the last two games 110 offensive rating in the 75 minutes that he's played so they're really struggling to you know create offense without him and it's the offense is way better with him and Thompson in the lineup and Durant's been just tremendous uh in the last couple games and a big thing that he's been doing that he hasn't been doing is passing the ball so he has 17 assists over the last two games and he's just been distributing way more because I feel like he's got a lot more gravity there's you know teams are helping more off the weak side now that they don't have to worry about the best shooter and you know history on the opposite side so whatever he's doing pin downs uh pick and rolls post-ups the whole defense is bending to him so much and it's given him a lot more opportunities to get his teammates involved. So they do have to figure out some ways to, you know, juice up those second lineups with, uh, they actually, they're playing lineups with not a ton of shooters, which is, well, you know. Well, here, before before you change the subject to, to yeah, react sure. to what you just said about Durant, he really seems to operate more as a play finisher when they're all together. And that was a little bit less the case as they got it into the playoffs and the finals last year. But they got Draymond, they got Steph, they've got Iguodala, they've got Livingston. And those are all guys who, kind of need to have the ball in their hands to some degree uh especially guys like Livingston and Iguodala you know they don't have as much gravity unless they have the ball so they can set up Durant now though those guys don't really have the juice without stuff there without the spacing around them and Danny wanted to get your takes here on what these two games have said to you about how they look without Durant and perhaps his importance uh, vis-a-vis Stephen Curry well I mean we have seen just that Steph really is the linchpin for the offense and as Liam said they have been winning these games defensively I'm guessing we'll talk or Liam will talk either way about Draymond's especially fourth quarter against the Pistons he was absolutely spectacular and so something that you remember with the Warriors and Nate Nate went on this before is that they have a lot of guys who can finish plays but they don't have a lot of guys that can create the initial separation and so the way that I would resolve that because with the second unit is just have more shooting out there so Sean Livingston at this point is that's just not really what he does 
process. He's he's more of a cog in the machine rather than somebody who gets it going. He's not a spark plug anymore. So maybe that's playing Clay and Nick Young together. You know, th- their problem is they just don't even have that many shooters. Maybe Clay, Nick Young, and Caspi if they can pull it off. Just go go in that direction, push harder there, and see what you can pull off. And then the other way that they've done this in this time is David West because David West is their best passing tradition. Traditional center isn't even really right because he played power forward most of his career. But David West, some something with those kind of guys out there as opposed to as much relying on Livingston and Andre Guadalla. Yeah, and Danny, you mentioned Livingston. What have you seen from him uh, this season, Liam? Uh, Livingston, I've I've been a little bit less impressed than uh, I remember being in the last couple seasons. So, I, like Danny said, he's not a guy that can create a shot, you know, create the advantage. Uh, he's assisted on 88% of his shots at the rim. So, he's really only taking a shot there if, you know, he's getting a pass for a dunk, presumably. And, his, you know, he's taking all of it, you know, most of his shots in mid-range. And his percentages are down this year to 41% where they're usually 47%. And whenever you watch him, you always think, wow, that's an incredibly tough shot that he took, you know, elevating over a defender like that. Sure. And and the math on that has worked out. Like, it looks like a difficult shot, but it's still not, you know, a bad efficiency shot. But if, if that drops a little bit like it has this season, it, you know, the math becomes a little bit dicier on that. So, and he's also a career low in getting to the line. So just a couple, like, athletic indicators that would show, like, okay, you know, he's never, like, you know, blazingly quick, but, you know, maybe he's lost, like, a little half step. But I, while, while saying that, he's still pretty good defensively in the help although he struggled with some guys uh like Avery Bradley really struggled chasing him around screens basically Avery Bradley got a shot like coming off you know curls for flop you know dip, pin downs for floppy whenever he wanted so that's it's that's something to keep an eye on you know is is he you know a step slower what have you what have you seen from him this season do you think he's a little bit of a less lesser of a player than he has been in the past yeah I think so I mean if you just look at his elevation at the room we haven't seen that but yeah I mean he's just <clears throat> he's not been quite as effective at point guard and or uh, I'm sorry in the post and sorry the cat are chasing each other distracting me a little bit uh he hasn't been quite as good in the post and they haven't gone to him quite as much either i mean you remember he used to get a ton of post ups back in the first couple of years as really the guy who was running the offense and, and they're running a lot through him on the second unit with mismatches and so now really it, the list of players that he really can effectively post up is growing shorter and shorter and they don't go to him as much and so he's just he's got to make those shots at the absolutely crazy rate as one of the best mid-range shooters in the league really to be effective uh, offensively and now we've seen him more just kind of operating more almost as a big man as a screener in the dunker role and so and the lack of spacing that he provides is becoming a little bit of an issue to the point where he really was playing more alongside curry last year because they realized he didn't provide enough spacing for those second unit lineups and i mean i think this is about what we expected to happen to him you know as a guy who's getting into his early 30s was not you know that spectacular of a player and he's also really kind of losing the point guard aspect so far so you know this could be kind of the end for him but <clears throat> we've seen a lot of these guys Iguodala falls in this category too as guys who kind of you know they're taking it easy during the regular season and, and they can deliver potentially in the playoffs we're not really going to know the answer until we see how well these guys play uh when the chips are down one quick point I want to make is that the Curry injury would have the, this time would have looked very different if Patrick McCaw hadn't gotten gotten a concussion in that same game so he's been out and my thought of originally before we knew that of what was going to happen was that McCaw was basically going to show that he was a better fit in some of these lineups than Livingston because basically it would jumble up everything and it would meet the realization because to me he should be the the guy defending point guards in the second unit and yeah. he, he might even start when he comes back um, he might he, yeah but that and then that gets into the other thing which we can all talk about which is I've really liked the way that they've handled Quinn Cook they in one game they started him and then the other they brought him off the bench because they were monitoring Livingston's minutes and they haven't tried to make Quinn Cook replicate Steph Curry basically what they've illustrated is that in the current with the guys they have
have, the best option they have is to just go with somebody who can be more of a catch and shoot guy who can defend and get out on those guys. And Quinn Cook is better at that than Sean Livingston. Is. Yeah, he's he's kind of yeah, playing. So- the- oh, <clears throat> sorry, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. This is, yeah, these three man pods uh, when we're three thousand miles away of the locker room. But yeah, no, you, yeah. What else did you have on Cook, Liam? Well, I, I like Danny said, he's he's really filling that you know Ian Clark role from uh, last year as far as like a three and D point guard type. But I, I do wonder. I I do think they could get a guy. I don't know if it's possible to like swing maybe like a second round pick, but just like a borderline, a fringe NBA guy who can give them a little bit of dribble penetration. He doesn't need to be great at it. And you're not going to get a guy for, you know, the price they would pay. But just the last two years, they've been last in the league in drives, and there's reasons for that with all their off ball movement and such. But I do think it would help, you know, ease the burden on some of the offense. Like Danny said, they don't have many, you know, creators themselves. If they can get somebody that can beat their man off the dribble, get a little more penetration, and still not kill them on defense, I think that'd be beneficial. Yeah, and maybe we'll see McCaw evolve into that guy a little bit i've been impressed at, at times with his burst in a straight line and he's tightened up his handle shown some ability to play point guard in summer league so maybe that's him you know he's not necessarily going to be you know as i've been saying of late like your every down back running pick and rolls up top but maybe he can give them enough of that um overall though like what, what have you seen from this team on the season just in a more macro sense so the the thing that's been interesting to me that i think is a big difference from last year which really just points to like effort and focus is their transition defense has been awful compared to last year. So last year they were third best at keeping teams out of transition, and now they're 20th best. And it kind of creates it's interesting to me because it it creates some a concept that Danny likes to talk about a lot is the feedback loops where they will run more than any other team off their opponents misses but when whenever they miss their opponents are running a ton off them so then you get into those you know big runs so that's that's a fascinating development for me as far as you know and that's something that I'm sure will get cleaned up in the postseason but just for the regular season I think it's going to create a lot of entertaining games as far as a lot of big runs and when they decide to turn things on and you know things like that yeah and we've seen some big yo-yoing in some of these games the New Orleans game the Philly game they've blown some big leads as well um and, and I think it's especially terrible to be I mean this is just raw frequency not even necessarily off of misses uh that they're giving up the third highest frequency of transition when they score so well themselves and now part of that too is if you're shooting a lot of threes and you're not getting to the foul line that while you might be scoring very well the actual percentage of possessions on which you have a make are lower so you still are going to face maybe a little bit more transition that way that's a will be an interesting aspect here as we go forward and i think maybe that that even is something now that i think about it that you can argue has been a big part of the scoring explosion is that while we've seen scoring go up there probably actually are just as many if not more misses than there were years ago because so much of the increase in scoring has been due to hitting more three-pointers so that then has fueled teams transition games and it makes much more sense to run the more misses that you're going to be facing so that's actually just from a league-wide standpoint i don't recall hearing people talk about that but something that uh just occurred to me no it's a good point i'm going to take credit for leading you into that leading you into that thought <laughs> no that was a, that was a good one um what else you got here uh you had a couple more that you wanted to get to in your observations sure so i'm just i 
Jordan Bell has been tremendously impressive for me. Just every time he's on the court, he makes like, you know, one or two just wow plays, whether it's like flying in for an offensive rebound or rotating way across the court for some massive block. And he, he just, there aren't many things on the on the floor that he does poorly. Uh, 73% true shooting percentage, he's doing a lot of low usage. But the, the places where like you would think he would get, you know, abused a little bit because he's a little bit undersized for center. What he matched up against in the last two games, uh, Andre Drummond and Dwight Howard, and they weren't really able to take advantage of him much. Uh, I think Andre Drummond bodied him for a rebound once, but just that the what, the what the Warriors have is just so much length and you know help instincts that it's easier for them to you know front or battle, and it's hard for other teams to post up against them in ISO. So a guy like Bell, you know his you know weaknesses, which would be post defense or battling bigs down low, they get kind of minimized with the other personnel that the Warriors have around. So I think it's it's a great fit, but he's also just proven himself to be such a smart player and so active and mobile. And the one thing I really like that he does. Is is whenever he catches it on the short roll, he will make his decision really quickly as far as what he's going to do. And that kind of keeps the advantage that the team's built, you know, through the course of the play in effect. So when two guys double Steph Curry off a ball screen, he will whip the pass immediately to the opposite side if the other guy's stunning at him. And just the speed with which he does it, I think it creates a lot more open shots than it would normally from somebody else in that position. So I'm a huge fan. I think I think everybody here would agree that he's, you know, should be getting a lot more minutes compared to Gavon Looney, Pachulia, and McGee. But I know they like to keep the locker room together. So it'll be just interesting to see how many more minutes he gets over the course of the season because I'm sure they want to season him a little bit before the playoffs. Yeah, and Bell, in fact, has uh, moved ahead of McGee in the rotation, taking his customary... Uh, end of the third and, and end of the first quarter minutes one thing about bell and danny i think we talked about this when we did the twitter nba show in that charlotte game is there are a bunch of times when he doesn't know the play on offense and especially now that they're doing they're running a lot more called plays with curry out too because they're not pushing as hard in transition and and they're also just they don't have the personnel to inspire that kind of transition chaos the way that curry does it and so he, he really while he's a very instinctive player he doesn't really seem to know like the offense that well and there are a few times where the offense kind of ground to a halt in part because like everyone had to order him around and tell him where to go yeah and I think eventually that stuff will sort itself out on the point of the quick decisions that Liam made a play that stuck out to me in the game against Detroit was there was it was the end of the third quarter ball got to Bell and he just rapid fire tossed it to Quinn Cook who made a three as time expired and if he was any slower or if the pass was at all off they never even get the shot off there and it was right on the button he's another part of it that's good is he's you know he's not making imaginative like Ben Simmons LeBron passes but he can make the easy play quickly and there is a lot of value in that yeah so last thing on on them Danny you and I had both said that Draymond had not looked like the same guy defensively but uh Liam you noted that he seems like he's starting to round into shape on that end right against Charlotte I think he blocked at least two jump shooters just on closeouts to the three-point land so that's you know obviously his length and just him hustling on those closeouts and the fourth quarter against Detroit he was especially really good he blocked Reggie Jackson at the rim on a switch he blocked Luke Kennard on a three-point attempt he you know forced a turnover on Boban in the post he contained Avery Bradley off a switch and he made a great rotation over to block Anthony Tolliver rolling open to the hip to the rim so I mean like the the fourth quarter was basically, you know, peak Draymond. We, we, we all know, like, what a great defender he is. So it's good to see that he still has it in there. And, you know, obviously, I think it's probably a lack of focus and, you know, energy or want to going into fourth season of being such a great team. So he still has that dominant effort in him when he d- puts his mind to it. Yeah, and that was the kind of thing late in games that had been 
and missing you know when they had that horrible loss uh, at home to the kings um all right uh, we will uh be right back here uh, but first this from left I was up in Seattle this weekend and got a chance without my car to ride in my favorite ride-sharing platform, Lyft. Had a a great driver. He gave him a a great tip. He knew all the streets that were closed in downtown Seattle because we were going from Capitol Hill to Queen Anne. And so uh, I give them a great tip. And Lyft knows that their drivers are what keep them moving. So they do everything they can to ensure that their drivers are happy by giving them 100% of their tips. And that's also why Lyft introduced in-app tipping way before any other ride-sharing platform. How else does Lyft take care of their drivers? They offer express pay, which lets you get paid almost instantly instead of weeks later. And if you want to earn more money, you drive more. It's never been easier to give yourself a raise. With the holidays coming up, with any unexpected expenses in your life, if you want to just treat yourself to something new new furniture whatever it is lyft is one of the best ways to make your spare time work for you if you had some other kind of part-time job you wouldn't be able to just work for a couple hours at a time if that's what you wanted to do and because lyft keeps their drivers so happy nine out of ten lyft rides get a perfect five-star rating happy drivers mean happy passengers so join the ride sharing company that believes in treating its people better go to lyft.com lyft.com slash capspace today you can get a $500 new driver bonus that's lyft.com lyft.com slash capspace that slash capspace urls you remember we talk about capspace all the time in the program lyft.com slash capspace is that url let them know that you came from us limited time only terms apply all right danny I, did we yeah we did do the uh, warriors fundamentals guess it'd also be worth noting that they had a 6-0 road trip first in franchise history they did not ever have uh, an undefeated road trip of that length in any of the three well, prior seasons actually they did they had an undefeated they were trying to make this a little bit of drama they had an undefeated seven game road trip on the on one of the oh. earlier seasons and so they're like oh we've never done a six game one before so the broadcast Ray Ritter were, you wily wily man yeah but but let's move <laughs> let's move on to the Utah Jazz and we'll note that this the stats might sound a little different this time because due to an issue with cleaning the glass we're back to NBA.com for this because they updated more quickly so if some of them seem a little different it's because of that but the Utah Jazz 13 and 14 four and three since the last 15 and 60 but they're at a plus 3.3 net rating partially because of these just demolitions that some of their oh wins actually have you know what oh yeah never mind it's still not working yeah i, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it too. was working and it wasn't I, it I wasn't the too. right thing yeah all right uh that, so, this is fantastic uh, radio but i'm is. not gonna edit it because this is a two-hour long podcast and we yeah. want to get you your information as fast as possible so net rating plus 3.3 is sixth in the league despite that sub 500 record they are 14th in offense and seventh in defense and one of the lingering stories with the jazz was that we were at first we were really questioning you know oh they're gonna fall off a cliff without rudy gobert and that was justified considering he is a massive defensive player now the question is it seems like they found something with playing only one traditional big man at a time how are they going to reconcile that with having favors and gobert on the same team especially as gobert is getting towards 100 percent because it's pretty clear to me he's not there yet yeah he did have 20 points in the game against houston over the weekend uh but i know apologies that was actually the game against uh, milwaukee over the weekend uh and that was an improvement 
improvement offensively. That's where I had seen the biggest issue from him. He got up eight shots and then took 14 free throws as well in that game, although they did get worked by Milwaukee and Giannis still killed them even with Rudy in there. So yeah, I agree with you that he really has been, has not been the force yet where teams have been low to challenge him, but it's been a pretty tough slate here as they've lost the three straight. They lost at OKC, uh, at home against Houston, and then uh, in Milwaukee. So do you make much of this latest uh, three-game losing streak for them after they had had that great winning streak? Not really. I mean, I think that broadly speaking, those are games that they could lose and some at least that they should lose. I mean, Houston has been the best team in the league for the last little while. We'll talk about that later. So losing to them, Homer away, is there's no shame whatsoever in that. And Milwaukee, you know, they've, they've been a little bit inconsistent, but they've been better since they got Bledsoe back and, you know, Giannis had a nice game. So not too much, especially that Rodney Hood's been out, but this is the same thing that, I mean, last year I picked him for most improved player and spent most of the year bitter because he, you know, that just wasn't the season that was taken away. But maybe he's just, he's not snake bit, but he's just, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can count on him as a reliable contributor because he misses so much time due to different things. It's not even just like, yeah. oh, he's out for a couple games because, or like Bogut's freak elbow injury or like a guy who has that. He's just out for periods of time with various things. Yeah. And there always seems to be something and it's really a problem, especially because he's a guy who really to be at his best needs to be aggressive, needs to get to the basket, get to the foul line and if he's going to be hurt and worried about getting hurt, that's going to be mitigated. So I do think it'll be very interesting when he comes back, though, because Donovan Mitchell, who we promised to talk about now, is playing a lot of point guard. He's played about a third of his time at point guard and the other third at the two. And when he plays a point guard, Ricky Rubio does not play. The combination of Rubio, Gobert, and Favors, those three guys starting together, really has been awful. And Favors and Gobert together has been awful. But maybe if you could get a little more shooting around favors and Gobert to start with it might work okay but you know I mean there's a lot of egos involved here favors and Gobert both quote-unquote deserve to start but you know I mean how does favors deserve to start more than Jonas Jarebko or Tabo Cephalosha the other two guys who've really played at the four when the team has been better when those with those guys out there it's really more that you know no way Gobert is coming off the bench and no way favors wants to come off the bench and he considers himself a power forward and so the most you can the more you can convince him to think that he actually is still a power forward the better performance you can get out of him but you know it does it's too bad to play you know eight minutes a game when you're just getting killed out there uh but let's get back to Mitchell now I mentioned the split of how they're playing and actually it's a little bit more 39% at point guard they are plus 3.5 net rating when he plays at the point 0.7 when he plays at shooting guard again you know he's playing some minutes with that Rubio favors Gobert unit so that you're not going to look that good in those situations uh give you a little more information on him and then i have an interesting question at the end he's getting 36 percent of his offense in pick and roll not great there in terms of his efficiency 0.76 point per possession he has started throwing some very nice passes we've seen that some highlight plays we talked about some of the very impressive passes that he threw in that OKC game which is the last full jazz game that I watched but worth noting as well that as a combo guard he is below average and when you compare the amount of usage he has to the number of assists that he has well below average in fact because he has that 29% usage rate which is very solid so that's one issue with this game another issue with this game is he really is not that good in isolation right now he doesn't have a lot of advanced dribble moves just going one-on-one. Quinn Snyder 
their jazz run all these pick and rolls they do a great job of getting mitchell into position to succeed where he can go downhill come off a pick and roll come off a, a dho and not really have to make an advanced move you know maybe he can get the guy on his back and operate that way but you know he doesn't have to go to in and outs and crossovers and go between the legs and really fake guys out you know he's just getting the ball and he's able to come off of a screen and because he's a good shooter you know they have to go over the screen and respect that that's certainly a, a big important aspect of his skill level um but usually when he isos inordinate amount of the time and some of this is late clock too remember because the jazz don't like to iso and so if they have to he's late clock but even against a big he likes to pull up from like way downtown like you know three four feet behind the line he's only three of 12 when he takes that early dribble pull up in an iso and then the other problem with him isoing and just in general is he's only shooting 29 percent from mid-range and it's really hard to be a good isolation player unless you're Stephen Curry if you can't shoot the ball from mid-range because you have to be able to punish guys from laying off of you. So it's an it's an interesting split with Mitchell with that, that he has some of the elements that you look for in a successful guard, and then he needs some of the other stuff. And so it's really going to be in, I think well, it's going to be- And when you say guard, you kind of mean like a lead guard, like a big scoring guard, I, I'm guessing. Sure, right? sure. Yeah. And, and you've made the comparison before to Gilbert Arenas, and I think that handle is important there. And a lot of his role, and I know this is hard for a coach, a coaching staff and a franchise, I think is going to be dictated by his own development. You know, if his handle can get tight enough that he can beat guys in iso then you can use that more and if he doesn't get that then it's it's just gonna be hard you know same thing with a mid-range shot and the the nice thing about that is you're largely going for guys that can create shots for themselves and for other people just as a a talent acquisition thing especially as with the jazz because they don't have a ton of resources here so you're trying to get the best player possible and you make it work from there so i don't think that really affects how they build this team out you just have to be a little bit more patient with it and as Snyder has done a pretty good job of so far put the guy in positions to succeed at this point and train him to be able to succeed in more situations yeah I think that's right as it stands right now you know he's had these huge scoring games and in his last 15 games 21 points a game 58 percent true shooting still that 29 percent usage and he's shooting 41 percent from three seven attempts a game which is a, a ton and he's been outstanding on catch and shoot threes not as good on pull-ups uh for the year still only 52 percent true shooting remember he was extremely inefficient early on and he's going to be a very volatile offensive player at this point in his career because if he's going to be efficient he's very dependent on that three-pointer falling and if he's going to shoot 40 percent and he's going to get up that number of attempts yeah he's going to be efficient but he doesn't really get to the foul line uh and he shoots 28 percent of his shots from mid-range uh and he's shooting 29 percent as i mentioned on those shots and then even at the rim uh he's up to 57 percent at the rim which is not bad he was really struggling early uh and he gets there a lot for a guy like him 32 percent of his shots there but he's not really going up with strong power finishes as i mentioned previously he's kind of you know he's trying to extend out float it up kind of tony parker style before the defense gets to him and kind of sneak it sneak the ball up under guys arms so he's not really a, a power finisher despite his athleticism every once in a while he can get in the lane and, and go up hard on two feet so the question i wanted to throw to you now danny is is he a point guard or like would you rather have him as your point guard or would you rather have him as your shooting guard you know uh, if we assume just kind of normal development from here on for right now i would rather have him as a highly used secondary guy i just think it's a better use of his skill set he's a wonderful catch and shoot player he can attack on closeouts that way that's a lot more straight line stuff and then if he ever builds in the ability to do it then you go another direction however i would not probably unless it was a guy who can really really shoot pair 
him with somebody who is that pure maestro, really ball dominant and doesn't shoot like Rubio. That's the big problem because yeah. that combined with Gobert and all that. And you could maybe even do this was a piece I never wrote, but I thought it, this I've used this term in my own brain since like 2009 of what I used to call the, the fractional point guard theory, which was the idea of maybe you could just break up those responsibilities with a bunch of different yeah. people. That and the jazz be- offense is absolutely perfect for that. Oh, absolutely. So so maybe that's the end game here, but you just need a couple more guys who are capable of filling the other parts of that. And so the, the big concern that I have, and I was sitting there kind of a question back for you is, how does what Donovan Mitchell has done so far change the way, if you were de- in Dennis Lindsay's spot or he was listening to you for advice, change how you approach Ricky Rubio from now until the trade deadline? Yeah, Rubio, about $14 million a year this year, same for next year. You know, we'll see what happens with Dante Exum as well, who's on the eve of restricted free agency. Maybe the, he hasn't been ruled out for the year yet. And so maybe there's some hope that he could come back before the year is over and maybe get an idea. But, I, you know, I doubt that Rubio is going to get traded. The Jazz were really kind of the only market for him at this point and it but i think especially with what you said about the utah offense i mean you've got if you're gonna say rodney hood alec burks the way he's been playing this year mitchell joe ingles cephalosha has really been playing more at the four but then when joe johnson comes back he might play some more three as well and you might make the argument that rubio is probably the worst player of all those guys that we mentioned uh you know certainly burks may not keep this up because he's been really hot lately but it's and moreover even if rubio might be a better player than some of those guys those guys don't have the same extreme weaknesses and especially extreme weaknesses that aren't the greatest fit for when they play with some uh lesser shooting lineup so it's really he's not the greatest fit we thought he would be a little bit better of a fit uh, than he has been he still has the issue of not being able to shoot so i think if i could swing it i would much prefer that mitchell did become the point guard because then also like he's got a lot more size you can do some more switching defensively he's got that great length you just have more overall athleticism as well when he's out there and then you also just don't have to acquire another point guard right like if you kind of go through the point guards in the league you know there's maybe 12 13 14 15 really good point guards and then the rest of them are kind of you know okay placeholders but have some pretty significant weaknesses so if you can just get enough ball handling as Snyder has had the ability to do out of this group I would probably rather play him at point guard and I think the fact that they play better with him at the point is not an accident um quickly run through another couple because we've been on them for like 15 minutes right now Alec Burks, we mentioned he's been really hot recently over his last seven games since the last 15 and 60, 67% true shooting, 28% usage, shooting 47% from three. He's got kind of a funky form. He's more comfortable shooting that off the dribble usually, but and he's not taking a ton of shots there. And then Cephalosha, he still has that release that can be timed with a sundial. And so he just can't get enough shots off. I mean, that was really clear, especially in the OKC game, where with the length that they have closing him down, he really... You know, had a lot of record scratches because he just couldn't get his shot off fast enough. Uh, but he's been outstanding from three when he does take him at seven or at. 42%. And then we mentioned the possibility of him potentially playing more small forward. That may not be a, a great idea because they are really bad when he's at small forward. And then they have a plus 12.5 net rating in any lineup with him at the four where he has played 65% of his minutes to date. And it's, 
another reminder of how how much it opens up Utah's offense just by having another guy, even if you have a slow release, who can really shoot from out there and the teams have to respect. It just opens up the entire rest of their offense. And so Joe Johnson can help in that way. And he did last year. Tabo can do that too. Jonas Drebko can do that. And so, it, I, I mean, I think there's overwhelming evidence now for their, for their team that they're better this way. It's just going to take time and it's really complicated emotionally and everything else like that to figure this out. But what is so encouraging to me is the, da- the data is there. The people involved in this organization, I have a lot of faith in, and this isn't necessarily the year for them. So as long as they can figure this out and let's say, let's say by February of 2019, I'm going to be really happy with where they are. And I mean, we talked about what were they going to be without Gordon Hayward. It feels like they're closer to that, even though they've had some disappointments. All right, let's get to San Antonio and hopefully not spend uh, 20 minutes on them as we did on these first two teams. Uh, Spurs are 19 and eight. Amazing. Seven and one since the last 15 and 16. And at one point, recall, they were five and five. So they are 14 and three in their last 17. Fifth in the NBA in net rating at 4.5. They have the 13th ranked offense. That is just absolutely remarkable given the personnel on this team. And they also have the fourth ranked defense. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible too when you consider that Kawhi Leonard has missed it all of this time. You watched their game against Boston. you have any observations from that? Yeah, a couple of things. So that was the game when Danny Green got hurt. And so you're sitting there going, when, when he gets, when he goes down, you're just going, well, what other rabbits do they have to pull out of their hats? I mean, so he's hurt. Obviously, Kawhi's out. Kyle Anderson's dealing with this knee sprain. And so you're just going, okay, you know, what are they going to do? So they're closing five against Boston, who at the early part of the year was arguably the best team in the league. Now they're, you know, they're still very, very good. They're just, they're just not that. They, so San Antonio ended the game with Patty Mills, Bryn Forbes, Manu Ginobili, Rudy Gay, and Aldridge. And they, and they won. They, they were able to get a couple of big stops. Manu hit a gigantic three. And it's, I mean, the idea that I had posited was that they were just going to out-execute everybody. I never would have thought that it could happen to this degree. And they've been able to succeed defensively better and, and just been able to get good looks. And Popovich has been willing to go to whatever works. And fortunately for them, it sounds like whatever works is going to be including Kawhi Leonard soon because it sounds like he could be back as soon as Tuesday. Yeah. And one thing that I've noted, we talked about this when we did the gamer on their game against Detroit last week is they've been going more at the end of games with a spread pick and roll gay at the four LaMarcus at the five and then they've been they've dusted off Manu and Manu is really because Tony Parker we're going to talk about extensively in a second here uh you know seems to still be on a minutes limit and so I mean if you look at that lineup that you mentioned with Mills and and Bryn Fords Manu Rudy Gay and LaMarcus like that is a ton of shooting and we've been begging begging the Spurs to go to more of a spread pick and roll look and it's really worked for them down the stretch of that Boston game and down the stretch of the Detroit game as well so let's talk about Parker now since his return he's played six games 107 minutes seems to be on about a 20 minute limit they really are going to him a lot very early in games early in the first early in the third and a lot of pick and roll especially in that Boston game I mean they probably ran six or seven pick and rolls at the start of each half where Parker either passed to someone who took the shot or or took the shot himself they really were trying to attack Kyrie Irving in that one and few things stick out in terms of his own offense Parker 63% of his offense as the pick and roll ball handler but actually has been pretty efficient so far I mean uh, only 35 possessions so we don't want to read too much into that 
but noteworthy that almost nothing in transition so far only three possessions in transition and for reference if you go back to as recently as 2013-14 which was really kind of the last good really good Parker season he was getting 16% of his offense in transition and it was a Spurs team that ran a lot more now he still is fulfilling an important role just as someone who can attack off the dribble and pick and roll and they've been running a lot more pick and pop with Gasol and with Aldridge when he's been in there and those guys are are great pick and pop players so he's still able to get to the rim a little bit still able to do that kind of quick slip the the ball under the guy's arm if he gets there fast enough but certainly you haven't seen him make any moves where you're like oh wow this is really he he looked really quick here his jumper it's been going in okay uh, on those mid-rangers out of the pick and roll still doesn't take any threes of course but it looks a little hitchy it almost looks like he's expecting to jump higher on each one of these shots and then he doesn't quite get there and he's like surprised to be shooting it on the way down Uh, but it just doesn't yeah it's kind of like it it reminds me a little bit of there's the reverse is some guys actually jump too high on their jump shot you know it's like these guys who are really really good leapers and they have to get into a more reliable thing it's it's the opposite i don't recall seeing that but i'm sure it happens with guys as they age we just don't notice as much but tony mj MJ was like that at the end um yeah that that's how that's right and with parker and with parker i mean we've seen him shoot mid-rangers for such a long time that it is easier to notice with him and of course he's also coming back at this time as they're dealing with you know dealing with Kawhi being out so I I wonder a little bit about what he's going to be for this team like let's say in the playoffs I'm sure he'll look better than than he does now but the idea that he's probably yeah he's definitely not gonna be the explosive player he was early in his career but even the guy that he was a couple years ago it's just harder to create the advantages that they can really use so I would be you know that's not saying you don't play him at all but I would be trying to pick his spots well as they move forward it is fortunate when you play a team that has a starting one that isn't great on pick and roll like Kyrie but that isn't true of every team especially like let's say they got in a playoff series with the Rockets that sure as hell is not true with them if they're gonna if assuming CP's on him so we'll we'll see where it goes from here but they have other options which is a great thing I mean Patty Mills is is a, a very capable steward and then DeJounte is still not there yet to me but yeah, at least he hasn't he can be a been part playing of much at all actually no. DeJounte Murray no. yeah they, they've really moved away from they have been playing Bertans more which is something that uh, I've appreciated and they've been playing at Bryn Forbes more as well I think in part too because Kyle Anderson is out with uh what we presumed given the timeline is a, a grade one uh mcl sprain freak stat here though it's hard to criticize using parker too much because as of right now the spurs are shooting 26 out of 39 81 percent e-field goal percentage off of parker's passes out of the pick and roll to either to shooters wow. or so that's a pretty remarkable stat not going to continue of course at quite that rate but he certainly has been providing an element of setting guys up and manu provides that a little bit still also uh but those two guys still out of the pick and roll are, are really their only options at this point even Kawhi is not a guy when he comes back who's gonna just like really put pressure on the defense out of pick and roll he'll get to his own offense at times but he's looking kind of for his own mid-ranger not to like really set up others as much all right why don't we move on to Sacramento here what's up with them they're a team that would love to be shooting that way off of pick and rolls they are eight and 18 three and four since last time we did this including a loss today to the Toronto Raptors which had a couple of different elements that I've wanted to talk about with them. They are 29th in net rating at negative 10.7, 29th in offense, 29th in defense. So basically they're benefiting in that way from not being the Bulls. And they, the Kings broadcast had talked about this before, but I actually already had these notes in here because I wanted to talk about them.
about this, that it's not just that the Kings, you know, they're, they're, they were phrasing it in the positive way, but their bench has more points than their starting lineup does. And before today's game, which was another exacerbation of this, their bench had 12, 1,249 points in 604 minutes, and their starters had 1,162 in 601 minutes, in 601 minutes. So their bench is the best, highest scoring bench, not best scoring. That's an important distinction to make here. And their starters are the worst there. And they are in many ways the quintessential team for something that you and I have talked about before, which is if a team has starters and bench play that are pretty even with each other, whether that's that they're starting the wrong guys or not, that is just going to lead to these weird problems because it's not necessarily like their bench players are better than their starters, except for certain circumstances. It's that their bench players get to play against bench players and are basically the same quality as their yeah. starter. Yeah. And they've also changed up their starters at times uh, Yeah, they've as gone well. with 10 starting lineups this year. This tonight, yeah. Today was their 10th different one. So you noted uh, on Sunday, yet another uh, amusing situation that occurred with these starters slash bench. Right. So they're, uh, they're the first team that I can remember where I've actually watched for this now, because it's happened twice and it almost happened a third time today, where they pulled multiple starters before the team had scored a single point. And that happened twice. And then today they were down 13 nothing to the Raptors at home when Zach Randolph hit a two. And then so they ended up keeping their starters in a little longer. Then it was 17-3 when they brought in Justin Jackson. And I think they brought in Kufos. And the the thing that just puts the cherry on top of that unusual circumstance, which actually also happened to the, I think it was the Clippers. Yeah, it happened to the Clippers this weekend too, is that the first substitutions for the Sacramento Kings are sponsored by Speedy Oil Change and Tune-Up, which just makes it way funnier because it's actually a speedy change. <laughs> yeah, and that quote that Zebo had to DeMarcus in that game of the weekend, they actually won, by the way, at New Orleans. And it was, I, I assumed when I saw that box score that, oh yeah, it's because uh, AD is still out. But AD was back <laughs> and they, they somehow won. And Zebo had this unbelievable game uh, leading to a, a classic line. Yeah, so I, I don't know how they caught it originally, but he was, so it's just Zebo and Cousins standing on the, waiting for, to rebound a free throw. And he just says, where I'm from, bullies get bullied. In my hood, bullies get bullied. As Cousins is just kind of standing there just listening to him. And it was it was just awesome. And so the NBA account tweeted out and everything. And, and Zebo has had a little bit of a, of a renaissance with them. And some of the way that they opened up minutes for that is by doing something that I am unhappy with other than him getting a chance to shine. But that's by putting Scal on the Reno Bighorns. Oh, yeah. One more thing on Zebo, just to talk about that game since it was sure. a, a monster game. 35 points, 14 of 22 from the field, 5 of 9 from downtown i'm guessing he was being guarded by demarcus probably a lot easier to take nine three-point attempts uh, when that's the case uh, and 13 rebounds so uh you mentioned it was the game of uh, zebo's season not not his life but uh cool to see that he could still explode uh every once in a while there and he and then buddy healed had a nice revenge game with 18 points uh, including four three-pointers and frank mason continues to, to play well as they've also gotten some decent minutes from Jakar Sampson, a defensively two-way guy who, of course, came up with the Sixers and then played a little bit with the Nuggets as well. Still amazingly, only 24, despite having been around in theory forever. But Scal, in the G League, remember they brought up Papa G, who we'll talk about in a second. Good to see, at least, that Scal just went down and just absolutely kicked ass. He is averaged 28 points, five blocks, and shot 71% from the field with six offensive rebounds a game 15 rebounds a game overall so when you send a guy like him 
down to the G League like and, and he actually was not good at all in the G League last year that's why it was kind of a surprise when he came up and did as well as he did at late season last year that's what he's supposed to do if you send him down and also good to see that like he actually got sent down and he worked and didn't take it with a bad attitude and that's one of the things you always hear about him is just like how good his attitude is and so for him to play that well in the G League at least you know it's not great that he got sent down it was a little weird it seemed like especially since he basically went from starting although he was getting the Keith Bogans to the G League but that's what you're supposed to do when you dominate and then Papa G he got called up didn't really play at all but oh no I shouldn't say that actually he actually had uh six points on three or three yeah in that he he played nine minutes against New Orleans and then the Toronto game was was I think it was because it was closer for the most part after they made that comeback after being down 13 nothing so they didn't play uh but Papa G just taking some very incremental steps and remember he was extremely young uh, when he was drafted he was still 18 I think when he was drafted but up to true shooting to 58 percent okay on the offensive glass you would hope that he would just be like you know have like a 15 percent offensive rebound he's only like 12 percent um up there doing well on the defensive glass though and not blocking as many shots as he did last year his usage is up a little bit i mean he's just like slightly better in, in most areas compared to last year in the g league you just would hope that like in terms of blocking shots and on the offensive glass that he could just be absolutely killing other d league players and he's not quite there yet but you know good to see him at least get some minutes and one thing I will give the Kings credit for is that they are at least kind of playing the season, especially now that they're sort of out of it. Like, you know, it's a pretty developmental season. You know, they're not like playing Vince Carter a bunch of minutes uh, most of the time, although he actually played 32 minutes against New Orleans. Uh, they're letting the young guys play. George Hill has only played 18 minutes. He's had such a weird uh, season for them so far. So this is a growing season for Sacramento. They'll have their draft pick going forward. They may be hurt by their amazing luck to be 8-17 and 17 with the, the awful point differential that they have all right shall we move on here yeah let's talk about the blazers uh blazers are 13 and 12 one and four since the last 15 and 60 they still have a positive net rating 1.1 is 12th in the nba they are 21st in offense sixth in defense and they had a game which we can talk about against the rockets which was fascinating and we i i actually a lot of what i thought about that game is more in the rocket section than here but i started this week and then waited of course to do some of the data part of this until afterwards until you know the weekend once we had more including that Rockets game in but what I was wondering was just you and Dylan talked about like what's up with their defense because they're doing so much better this year and then I was like well what's up with their offense and so I wanted to look at it a little bit yeah so really they are shooting extremely poorly they get to the foul line a little bit more and so you might say oh well you know it's just they're they've been unlucky that they're shooting badly but yeah i don't think that's necessarily the case it isn't their success rate at the different distances is largely in line it gets hard just because they're like three percent worse in mid-range and at the rim so that is you know that is meaningful it's it's not a sea change but it is meaningful but the biggest difference in terms of their effectiveness they've dropped from 12th in effective field goal percentage last year to currently 26th this year which is just massive is not about how many shots they're making it's about where the shots are coming from so functionally speaking they have swapped three pointers for mid-rangers both in the floater range and from the more deep two range and 
that in and of itself is is bad offensively unless you're killing it for mid-range but it's made even worse because they're shooting the same percentage exactly down to the tenth of a percent at floater range and from three yeah and hey guess what right like they're especially with Aminu out you know he's no great shakes as a three-point shooter but he's better than you know some of the two big lineups that they're playing I mean they've played Vonley a fair amount they've gone with Ed Davis and Nurkic together sometimes and then you're going with two traditional big lineups and then you're playing Evan Turner a fair amount of time at the three as well Stotts tried to go with Connaughton for a time just to get a little bit more shooting on the floor and he's had a nice season but he's not Alan Crabb and he's not playing as much as Alan Crabb was either so I think this is a logical outcome and when I was a little bit lower on them before the season I didn't expect that they would be down in the 20s in offense but I did expect that maybe they might have trouble maintaining their status as a top 10 unit as they had because of just the the chronic lack of shooting and that's proved to be even more of an issue I think than I had anticipated but this defense that we talked about extensively if you're a Blazers fan listen to the pod uh, with Dylan Murphy from Thursday because we really get into what they're doing well defensively but this has been an odd team I mean, it's basically turning out that they're looking to be pretty close to what we thought they were in an overall sense but not getting there in the ways that we'd expected but another part to consider is that i would say their their two stars have been less effective than i would expect even taking into account how great they were last year so yeah. willard on offense but, i think they've on been offense, better on, on offense yeah, yeah yeah exactly so willard what his numbers were a lot worse i i compiled the original part of this before the houston game and then had to edit it all because he was nine of 16 from three and that really did push him up because that's something to remember this early in the season you know when we're in the 25 yeah. to 30 game range how did he like get up swings. so many attempts against houston like was there something about houston's defense like that doesn't houston doesn't seem like a team that necessarily would give up a, that many they have like pretty mobile pick and roll defenders defensively they're not going to just they don't play like necessarily up that much of a portland style i don't think but well, there was a portion of the third quarter where he was just feeling it and just started yeah. shooting him i don't recall anything in that schematically that was particularly opening him up it's just Damian Lillard can pull that off at moments there were a couple just yeah. like kind of at the at the break that he just just pulled up and just drilled him right in their faces and you know it looked like they were going to win that game and so he's down from 37 to 35 from three now but it was like 33 before that game yeah and I and, would say despite what you said about Lillard there may be nobody in the league even Steph like because Steph he's not going to hunt shots quite as much and like he'll take deep shots but they're not necessarily like bad shots off the dribble but there may be nobody who's more unstoppable when he's just scorching hot from three than Lillard. I mean he'll take yeah. like 26 foot step backs going to his right and he's got the rise to get his shot off against every anyone which maybe Steph doesn't and so he's not as efficient as Steph you know he's nowhere near that level of conversion rate but when he really gets on fire and, and it used to be too like you'd watch for it especially last year if they were down eight with like you know three minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game like watch out he's gonna start pulling those and like he would get them back into games like pretty often just with that tactic and so he's also getting into the line more and he's he's shooting a career high from there he's almost 93 percent, which is impressive but he's down from 58 to 54 at the rim so you know and that's i think more of a reasonable range and then that's the other part for cj so cj last year he shot 56 percent at the rim but he had never shot above 58 per, or sorry above 51 before that and this year he's at 49 so i think he's gonna get a little bit better but remember they're playing with less spacing now both right. at in the mid-range and from three so that and cj is a great shot maker but when you make shots 
shots harder. I think that it, I don't I don't expect him to replicate what he did in that. And he's dropped four percent in mid range. I think that could get better. So like you look at those sorts of things, and like I don't think their offense is as as bad as it has been. But I agree with your premise that you said before the season, which is that it wasn't going to be what it was, and there were a lot of reasons for that. Some outlier seasons for really good players, and then just the overall system stuff. It's so like for example, there. This is one of the more interesting things that I've I've I, I wouldn't have expected this, but then when you think about their personnel, it makes some sense. They have dropped in terms of their half court effectiveness, but they have the second lowest transition frequency, eleven point four percent of their of their plays, despite having the sixth ranked defense. And so you're sitting there going like, kind of, how is all this stuff? Yeah, they're just not running as much. They just just with their personnel. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to do. They really they don't have that many guys that get out in that sort of a way. So I think they'll be better. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was a tactical decision, which this part of it is the Portland part of that that game against Houston was what Houston was trying to do late was going to a lineup where everybody could shoot. They're not all the best shooters, but they all can shoot and getting low resistance switches kind of Celtic style and then attacking that in isolation. And what I was sitting there going with this is just like, yes, it's true that you can compromise certain parts of your defense by changing up with that. But what they were getting is basically either Harden on Noah Vonley, which is just a disaster, or Harden on Damian Lillard after Lillard is not a great defender anyway, but he also turned his ankle in the third quarter and a lot of people thought he wasn't going to come back in the game. So that's what they were getting and Harden was just scoring every single time. And so it's just like, this is such a weird hill to just keep dying on. Like if you try it three, four times and it doesn't work, then just do something else because they went well, to it. Well, so it was, what's a, what's that something else? If help off PJ if, Tucker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. You're just saying they just didn't help enough. Yeah. They didn't help. Yeah, because they're, they're spreading it. And a lot of times what they were doing also is they were, because of these low resistance switches, they were doing something that we're, I think we're going to talk about this in a different segment that I think is a real key to unlocking some of this stuff, which is getting the best rim protector on the other team, guarding somebody who can shoot because they just get paranoid about leaving that guy open. And so yeah. what was happening was they were getting Vonley on like when he wasn't on the guy with the ball, he was often on like CP or he was on Eric Gordon or somebody like that. And so no Vonley is never going to get, but he's never going to get back to help on that because he's freaked out about giving up the three. And so they just had no help. So once Harden got past that first person, the best they could do was somebody scrambling back and actually getting close to committing a foul. And in two circumstances, they did. And so I, I think you just, you're going to have to sacrifice something. I've said before that the best offenses force defenses to, to make bad choices and that you're not choosing between good options against the Rockets. But it feels like when you know something's not going to work, at least try something else. Yeah, I think we may see some teams go to more of a blitz approach kind of similar to like what teams would do with Steph Curry when Harden gets in the pick and roll with those units and say all right you know if you're setting the screen with Tucker's man you're setting the screen with the Reese's man now we're gonna make those guys make a decision with the ball from well, the top of the key do you want to know how the Rockets handled that it was pretty ingenious they were they getting the guy it? they they were getting the guy they wanted on Chris Paul and then do that's how I was saying it was a low resistance switch they yeah. were having Chris Paul screen for Harden and you're just sitting there going why are you switching this like what what is you get you know you could just you can get around you can handle that you can even do a trap or something like that but it's i mean it's hard with the rockets because they're just so goddamn good yeah. well and obviously if you're uh, you're not going to be ready for that kind of thing in a regular season game as well especially because we haven't seen that many of those units from the rockets uh last thing mo harkless not shooting at all this year he's down to 11.5 percent uh which is he was never a high usage guy to begin with but he's shooting 26 percent from three and 26 percent on jumpers so and you remember he 
stopped shooting threes at the very end of the year, which Draymond Green trash talked him about because he had a bonus in his contract for shooting over 35% on threes and he was above it and he didn't want to risk it. Uh, but he better start shooting a lot of threes now if he wants to get up to that 35% this year because uh, he's got a long way to go. And also the other thing is, again, with the lack of spacing, without him playing at the four, you could say whether he or Aminu is the four, you know, he would play at the four sometimes with crap at the three. He was able to get a couple of little, they would run like quick hitting post-up plays for him or someone would drive to the basket he could get in and get an alley-oop rolling along the baseline and now they just don't really have that option anymore with the way they're playing in their personnel this season let's uh move on to the phoenix suns 9 and 19 2 and 5 in their last seven their negative 7.3 net rating ranks 28th in the nba and that is on the back of the 24th ranked offense and the 30th ranked defense and not only that but they're benefiting right now from having the second worst opponent three-point shooting percentage opponents are shooting 34.1 percent from deep and so think about where it could be without that you know if that were at 35 36 percent because they're giving up a lot of threes that would be you know that would be a big issue and something quick that i wanted to do a little riff on just because i was i was working actually on a piece about something else and i was just thinking about the greg monroe situation and what i was thinking about was this idea that they need to evaluate how they want to approach their cap because as was the case in the milwaukee trade they could theoretically one of the benefits of of trading greg monroe should they still want to do that which they should is that they could use him as the equivalent of matching salary to take on somebody presumably only for next year. But the, the challenge there is you're foreclosing on the opportunity of making that move over the summer when there might be teams that are even more desperate. So what I kind of wanted to ask you was, how would you be approaching that right now? Or is it just so context dependent that we can't really analyze it? I'd just be open to get some money back in a buyout to save uh, Robert Sarver some money as he tries to sell the team. <laughs> but but seriously, though, I mean, we know what how utterly impacted the center market is. I mean, how many teams would like to move centers? And there isn't necessarily a logical team for him. Certainly not a team that wants to send back money. As you mentioned, the, the construction of a trade that would make sense because they are, in theory, going to try to go for 2019 cap space. Although, you know, the way they're going right now and the way some of their young guys are going, and we'll get to one of them in a little bit here, I don't necessarily expect them to be much better next year. But to entice a 2019 free agent, especially because it should be more teams with cap space in 2019 than this year. So for Monroe, you would like to say, okay, maybe Greg Monroe isn't worth the first round pick. But if we send you Monroe and then we'll take back some salary enough to match that goes into 2019, maybe we get a first round pick that way. But again, if you're going to try to identify teams that really need him, that also like want to give up a first round pick and also have to dump salary, that's a difficult nut to find. And then just the fact that Phoenix, in theory, doesn't seem to really want to take on salary. And now if you get to the point where you have to get back just purely expiring salary for Greg Monroe, now you're definitely not getting a first-round pick for him. And at that point, you might just say, hey, you know what, like, Greg, how about you... Uh, and if they just buy him out earlier than this even, you know, maybe they could say, hey, Greg, go find a team that has the room exception left or something and can give you $4 million. That doesn't even start to prorate down until... Uh, January 10th you do that now he can get all of that money and 
maybe you just save yourself some cash like i think that actually is in theory the best outcome here yeah the distant best case scenario would be something like what the suns benefited from in the when they had marcin gortat which was that the suns had a big injury at or sorry not the suns the wizards had a big injury at center and just had this like we need somebody right now to fill the gap so that we don't lose this season when they could be a play a potential playoff team but a if that circumstance happened i'm not sure phoenix would be their first call yeah and, and greg can't play much defense either he's really more of right. a bunch guy and there are so many other options that they couldn't wield control like they did back in the gortat negotiations where it was like hey we have this good guy we don't really need him yeah. he was under and it's also the start of the year a guy is worth more yeah. at the start of the year of course and so so they are it is a challenging circumstance and it's part of why i was more critical of that trade from phoenix's perspective than some people were just because i didn't think they were going to get much for greg monroe and i still could be wrong but i'm starting to feel more comfortable that that element of the trade is not going to be as good so let's talk about josh jackson now number four overall pick of course in the 2017 draft the one silver lining for his season early was that he was hitting the three ball now he is not hitting the three ball he is at 24 percent from three these are just some ghastly shooting numbers shooting only 55 percent from the line that was a reason why we didn't believe that he would necessarily get it together as a shooter was the poor free throw shooting uh but still of course 23 percent usage not really that much below where he was in college turning it over a ton a lot and a ton a lot that doesn't make any sense 16 percent turnover rate which is not fantastic for a guy like him and i thought it was also noteworthy that when you look at the overall package for him it's really hard to find anything that he's doing well right now, Danny. Back in high school and at Kansas, there were moments where it looked like his handle and his passing ability were pretty pretty solid for a guy with his defensive skill set. So you're sitting there going, oh, you know, if he gets a steal, if he gets a rebound, then he can, you know, make a couple dribbles and a good decision, that sort of thing. And I still think that he can eventually get there, but it has been a concern with the turnovers against NBA talent and the fact that his assist proportion relative to his usage is low you would think that somebody who has those flashes would be able to translate that into game action even as a rookie yeah 14th percentile and that's for a combo forward that's like you know guys who are playing at both forward positions not exactly as a group a high assist category and he's taken a lot of shots he's taken a lot of bad shots some of the carnage here as well 13 of 48 on floaters, only 54% at the rim, which is also really ugly. I mean, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of spacing. Uh, the one thing he actually has been making okay is he's shooting 46% on jumpers outside the paint, but he's, as we mentioned, has been so awful from three. And then he's not really rebounding that much either. You know, the hope was maybe he could play some small ball four. I was skeptical of that. I didn't think he had necessarily the heft for that or the wingspan. Not really rebounding, not really blocking shots so far. And, you know, he'll try to get intense out there but has not really been that effective as a defender. As we mentioned, they're 30th in defense and not really lighting it up defensively when he's on the floor either if you want to talk about where he's been there's really no play type as i mentioned he's not doing anything well in which he has been efficient right he's in the 20th 
percentile in transition taking a lot of jump shots in transition missing finishes taking a lot of contested floaters he has been horrendous spotting up uh 45 points on 73 possessions so when he spots up 0.62 points per possession that is in the seventh percentile in the nba and it's not only spot up jumpers on straight up catch and shoots he's okay but anytime he tries to put the ball on the floor and do something it's ugly like when he drives the basket off a spot up he has seven points on 13 possessions which again is absolutely horrible pick and roll ball handler not efficient either 22nd percentile there in no play type is he higher than 33rd percentile and that oddly enough is when he comes off of screens you know that's probably just more curls into the lane type of stuff and he's played 82 percent of his minutes at, at small forward 18 percent at power forward you recall that he started early on with tj warren he is absolutely not even close to the level that even warren is at right now he is not even close to being a nba quality starter and especially a little more concerning for him too because he's been uh, he was a freshman but he was a year old for his class so you would hope that he would be a, a little bit more mature I mean and, and it yeah. looks right now yeah he turns 21 during this season I think it's yeah. right around the trade deadline and what I want to watch with him and people who when you keep an eye on the Suns with players that are developing is you want to look at the relative severity of their strengths and weaknesses so the idea with him was I for at least some people the people who were bigger advocates was like oh he's going to be a very good defender so he needs to get that better he needs to be more consistently impactful on a possession by possession basis and then that he would basically shoot and pass and all that kind of stuff enough to make defenses respected to get teams off balance to create and so right now his strengths haven't been as good as they need to be and his weaknesses have been worse and so that will change you know that's how players could develop and they can turn sometimes they turn weaknesses into neutrals or strengths but watch how those kind of develop in tandem with him and it might take a while and it might never happen but I, that's what i'm going to be watching yeah one point on that he shot over 50 percent in only four games this year and you would think that like with his skill set what he was supposed to be he'd have some games where he just like gets out in transition he gets on the offensive glass he just gets a bunch of dunks you know he's just an energy guy takes good shots all around the rim and you know doesn't do much else but he always even when he gets games like that he then spoils it by taking a bunch of a terrible shots that, that he can't make right now and may never be able to to make it and you mentioned the pre-draft evaluation of him the reason that i was never a huge believer in him is that i say all right if you're taking someone at number four overall you best believe that he has the potential especially if you're taking a wing at number four overall you know unless it's like the 2013 draft with Otto porter and there really wasn't that much around this was we all knew this was going to be a really good draft uh or at least thought it would you know those pre-draft evaluations sometimes don't work out but of an entire class but i just never saw like how he was going to be this premium creator at the wing and certainly that's looking correct so far and i'm just you know i'm not sure i mean he's gonna have to radically change the way he plays because i just i still have zero belief in him becoming an efficient shooter at this point um you know until he's shooting better from the free throw line i mean it's going to take multiple seasons of him shooting well from three for me to start to become a, a believer there and so then he's gonna have to really change the way he plays right he's 
like way fewer of these floaters way fewer three-pointers off the dribble his shot selection has just got to really improve he's got to get that usage probably below 20 percent and hopefully get a lot better defensively but he can't really play the four and so then the shooting becomes an issue and you just you wonder what he's gonna be um and it's especially difficult for Suns fans when you look at the players who were drafted behind him and the level of success that they have largely had in addition the fact that the Suns have a need for a point guard long term even if they're happy with Ulysses is more of a backup they need somebody for that spot and last year's draft was full of them and it sounds like this year's draft is not unless you're a big believer in Sexton yeah. or Duvall but, so but but they had Eric Bledsoe well, there's no need to take a point guard uh, uh. all right that was uh pretty universally negative but i mean the sun's team is uh it, they're they're pretty rough um and, and we'll, we'll talk about devin for- booker's improvement at some point this season yeah. but with him out for a groin injury i figured we'd save but, that until he's but back the fun thing for the suns though is that they have so many players that are worth taking a second to look at like bender and chris and booker that we can we can do a, a player feature every single time on these and we'll never run out of guys to talk about let's get to okc now the thunder are 12 and 13 four and two since the last time we did this they are still above water in terms of net rating plus 1.9 is good for 10th in the league and that is on the backs of their second ranked defense because their offense is still 25th in the league yeah and it is trending in the absolute wrong direction and paul george has been out the last couple of games with a calf contusion hopefully contusion just means like there's some swelling there and it's not actually like a a strained or, or pulled calf which you know as we know can often lead to missing more time that's one of our axioms that calves and hamstrings are, are very slow to heal i guess we can add uh quadriceps tendons to, to that list as well lately but i mean i think this is what one of the big problems for them is just like mellow just hasn't been good like he's not a good defensive player he's shooting extremely poorly i mean he can't hit an open three i mean you expect that that would normalize to some degree and he could at least hit some open threes and i think that would really really help them but he's shooting 40 percent from the field 34 percent from three he's not taking like difficult threes any longer uh, and with his usage at still 26%, way below average true shooting. And then you've got Russ, 34% usage, 49% true shooting. And yeah, guess what? You're not going to have an efficient offense. And for me, this season has been, even though it's a lot of different things for the Thunder. The biggest part is just that Russell Westbrook hasn't been the same guy. And again, you have this dynamic where I don't think anybody reasonable expected him to replicate what he did last year, even with the change in circumstances, even if we were to say like, he's the same guy and they have different players. So maybe his usage is going to drop and things like that. That was unrealistic, but this is a major step behind that. So one of the things I wanted to look at is his shot distribution, his success. And one of the challenges that I had was, what do you use as the base mark, benchmark? Because last season, you know, his MVP year, he took a lot fewer shots at the rim and pushed his three-point attempts as a relative thing to a career high. This year, that is toned down. So both of those are, are back more in the other direction. So he's taking more at the rim than he did last year. He's taking fewer threes, which is good. But he, he has had a big drop-off in mid-range shots. So 
So in terms of success, he's 37% last year, 29% this year. But the biggest yeah, and culprit... And he's taking easier shots. He should be taking easier yeah. shots too, yeah. you know? he is. I, I but, mean, a lot of... Like, that's why you have to... I mean, I know they have all these structural problems, right? Like, I I admit that, that, you know, it certainly doesn't look good. The role players, that they have issues with those guys being able to shoot, that maybe these guys just aren't as good as they've been in the past. But, I mean, they are missing good shots that they just would normally make i mean and right. maybe they just can't make those shots anymore but you have to imagine they're going to get at least a little better even if they don't actually start getting better shots right i think i think they'll be better there but and this also ties in with the other big way that russell westbrook has been less effective this year and it's the free throw line so compared to last year he's getting about 3.8 fewer points per game at the line just as a raw number from 8.8 last year to five and that's because of the twin things that it usually is one is attempt rate his attempt rate is nine percent lower than it was last year and for whatever reason as a career 82 percent free throw shooter he's shooting 71 percent. so either I mean, one of those he just has like some like undisclosed hand injury or something i mean it really is like very and now he has at least got that's on the way up that he has he has a muscle so. imbalance in his shoulder yeah that is now resolved for marco fultz don't worry by the way guys we will get to a bunch of news including the okafor trade tomorrow um i know we're a little late on that but so be it um we we will have thoughts though but so so you have all of those things running together and it's like well yeah it's not a surprise that it's not a surprise that he's less effective than last year and i expect some of those to tone down i mean he's not i don't think he's gonna shoot 71 percent for the whole year that it just doesn't fit within that but the part of this that has been less appreciated partially because it's harder to quantify with traditional statistics is that his effort based stuff and you watch if you watch the thunder you see this stuff instantly that's what caused me to look this up in the first place has been striking for a player who made it to a major college and then made it to where he was in the draft on being a supreme athlete and trying really really hard so he has contested the fewest shots of any nba player with 600 or more minutes played just 87 and that's compared to guys with 600 minutes he's played 900 he's at 899 he has a career low foul rate career low block rate and a lot of this is system based but i like screen assists i think it's a good measure of activity and all that and there are some point guards who are good at this especially if they're dirty screeners there's especially the shooting point guards now have gotten better at this russell westbrook has four screen assists on the season so you have all these different elements in play that are just like well he's not doing as well he's not being as effective offensively and he's not making even the perfunctory effort other than on the defensive glass necessary to to really be as big a cog in the machine so last year he was the reason for their success and this year for large portions of it it seems like they've been succeeding sort of in spite of him all right well quickly here they're 12 and 13 right now what do you think if you just say they're gonna play at the level of a blank team for you know a 49 win team or whatever uh for the rest of the year like what do you think that is i think it's a little over 500 maybe like somewhere in the 47 to 49 range i don't i when i watch them i don't think 50 win team as good as their defense has been like and their defense has been spectacular especially at some some notable moments in this season i mean we've we've talked about it a few times on the show we've done them for gamers but I mean, at this point, can't we just expect that their offense is going to have these bugs in it for most games? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, given what we've seen so far, to project that they're going to be better than average as an offense, right? And the defense, you know, it's been really good. Maybe it gets a little worse if they if they take steps to make the offense 
better you know play robertson less for example although you know who are they going to play a Brinus, he's got like a seven per patrick patterson has a six per uh, you know terrence ferguson has a 0.1 per so there aren't really you could say hey play robertson less but there aren't necessarily like great options either way it's you know i i, I would say maybe they win at like a 47 48 win pace for the rest of the year you know that's probably what you'd would look at i mean and that doesn't mean they're going to get to 47 or 48 wins you know that means they're probably going to get to like 45 wins or whatever you know the, the math would indicate there or 46 wins and uh, that would be a an absolute disaster of a season with the talent that they thought they were getting at the start of this season. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on to the Pels. New Orleans, 14 and 13, three and four since last time we did this. They won on Sunday against a version of a skeleton crew for the Sixers. Ben Simmons did play, but Joel Embiid and Robert Covington did not. They are 14th in net rating plus 0.2, 7th in offense, 21st in defense. Yeah, and one of the things that you noted, you've been all over this, so I'll let you take it away, of just what the relationship has been uh, between uh, Davis and Cousins, both what the numbers look like, and just their overall profile for a team that plays two bigs together so often. So part of, you could argue, the biggest element of their kind of thousand mile view from a layperson's perspective is oh my god this is a team with two all-star big men so you think about what that kind of a team would be and they have defied those expectations in a couple of different ways so one is they've been very low in offensive rebounding they've actually been bottom 10 the last three seasons and they haven't been getting to the line that much. They're 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 lower on that end, and you'd think, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis can get a ton of free throws. Also, opponents are shooting about sixty-five before today's game, about sixty-five percent at the rim, which is strong. You know, that's that's bottom if you, that's top ten in terms of efficient, which is not what you want. And part of that is just the nature of those two guys as players. But then another part of it is that thinking about them as a big team is a little bit of a misnomer because other than some Omar Oshik minutes, they're really only the two traditional bigs they play because Dante Cunningham, you know, gets minutes there. They don't really have, and Shake Diallo's gotten a few minutes. It's not like, you know, like he's been a huge part of what they've done. So maybe that is a little bit of overstating it and simplifying it, but it is worth considering. And I think they really did miss some of that when when Davis was out. And so one of the things that happened was instead of it being Davis and Cousins, and then each of those guys plays minutes by themselves, largely against mixed units, second unit starters. Now we have a bigger sample with DeMarcus Cousins playing at center without Anthony Davis, and it didn't go super well. Yeah, uh, not good, you know, and certainly I think that their defense when Cousins plays does not look good unless he also has Davis there with him as well. He really needs that type of power forward. Cousins is just especially when you're also putting him in the position where he's going to be having to create a ton. I mean, he did have that one monster game where he had over 40 oh, points. Yeah. And, you know, that was like a, a an outstanding performance. But now you're putting even more offense on him and you've got less defense around him. It, it certainly it could fall apart quickly. Uh, anything else you want to talk about on them? I, I wanted to hit on, on Rondo briefly, but wanted to make sure you were done. No, we can, we can talk about the other stuff, the Cousins with and without Davis. That's something we're going to be tracking all year. So we'll keep an eye on it so for rondo you know he came back he's been playing eh, close to a month now he's been better this year than he has been the last couple of years certainly than he was in chicago in particular his turnover rate is only 14 percent uh 
which is among point guards is 50th percentile point guards just generally a higher turnover group given the the amount of creation that they have uh and he's been in the 15th percentile or below the last few years which so if you you want to just calibrate what that is you know about average turnover percentage for a point guard is 14 percent of their used possessions either that end in either a shot or a turnover and where he was 15th percentile or below that was an 18 percent turnover rate or above and he's been that basically ever since he tore the acl uh they are actually better on offense with him out there but way worse on defense negative 5.5 points per 100 worse with him out there on defense and he's taking more shots from three but he's hitting only 29 percent. he actually made 37 percent last year but on such a low number of attempts that the gravity wasn't there and he was still a big uh, offensive negative with his shooting as a team they take 4.7% fewer of their shots from three when he's on the court. And so to put that in perspective, that's basically the difference between being the number two team in the league and being average in terms of three-point attempts as a percentage of shots. And just so we have it here, Houston absolutely completely batshit insane in terms of their percentage of shots from three, 48%. And then they take almost double, no more than double, in fact, the percentage of shots from three that Sacramento Sacramento takes they're down uh, at uh, 23%. So a pretty big spread there in terms of percentage of shots from 3 overall, but especially when you're kind of in the middle of the league, the majority of teams are between 24 and 36%. The the entire league other than Houston and Sacramento are within a 12% range. So you're basically talking about 5% that's taken you from really really good or really bad that 5% will increase you up to about league average essentially. So that's kind of what you're looking at the effect that he has on their three-pointers just to put that in a perspective uh they are also shooting 9.8 percent worse from downtown when he's out there some of that is noise some of it is him (laughs) uh and some of it is just that they don't have as much spacing when he's out there and just can't take as many shots uh and their shots that from three are more contested they do however when he's out there take 10.6 percent more of their shots uh, at the rim and again to put that in perspective the league leading lakers take 42 percent of their shots at the rim and sacramento man to be last and shots from three and at the rim is just so bad sacramento takes 29 percent of their shots at the rim so if you're going to take 10 percent more of your shots at the rim that's basically the difference between worst in the league and, and best in the league so he has that effect now they do shoot way worse at the rim again that's partially him shooting a poor percentage at the rim that's always been the case but he really does set guys up at the rim one of the things that he's always been amazing at and is a real boon on this team is they'll front in the post against this team a lot and he is maybe the best guy i've ever seen at throwing the ball to post players that are fronted and throwing he'll throw it to guys who are fronted from like 40 feet away and not not like these transition plays like it's really more of like a half court play but he's just very aggressive with that set up ad a couple of times in this most recent game where he had 13 points and 18 assists against philly who was trying to front ad with guys like sharich and same thing with demarcus he had a great chemistry with demarcus doing those same type of plays when they were together in sacramento yeah so i think for me there was a piece i I nearly wrote before the season uh last year actually when because for the athletic because they had the bulls and i was going to write about how rondo makes teams rondo-y and it really is that for them and what's so intriguing about it with the pels is that he's in some weird situations relative to his career i mean he's 
starting games sometimes next to Drew Holiday. So you think, oh, well, that's such a different situation. Uh, nope. And Drew has still... been a lot more empowered, I think, to shoot he the has. ball next to Rondo. He has. And and Drew's had some had some big scoring games recently. He had 34 tonight, had 34 against the Warriors, had 27 against the Nuggets in that game they won. And so, I, yeah, I think that maybe it's even just a mental process for Holiday, just saying like, okay, we're I played next to another guy who could handle the ball. I because he just should take more shots, and so he's doing a good job there. But just in terms of the distribution with Rondo, you have a guy out there who plays a traditional shooting position who can't really do that, so you have to reapportion all that, and then how that changes how the defense approaches it. And his strengths and weaknesses are so severe that even if you don't game plan for teams generally in the regular season, Rondo teams know that they handle him differently. So we'll be right back after this word from our friends at Movement Watches, MVMT com slash capspace is your url to get 15 percent off an awesome holiday gift with the beautiful styled minimalism of a movement watch i think they're fantastic for just about anyone in your life guy or girl in fact i've uh, had the most success giving them to the women in my life my mom has one that i got her my fiance has one and then my mom liked hers so much that she actually bought one for both of her nieces my cousins i'm definitely at that point now where i'm locking in on holiday shopping and i have not been to a store in years stores are very overrated and of course they make it cost more because you have to pay for the middleman you got to pay for the retail markup got to pay for the space you got to pay for the salesperson movement watches they start at just 95 dollars at a department store you're looking at 400 to 500 bucks at least in my opinion for a watch of this quality what I recommend is if you're looking for a gift, just go and check out that URL, movement.com, mvmt.com slash capspace and see if you like their design. I'm a big fan of their 40 series, so the 40 millimeter, it's a little smaller. And if you're an international listener, they sell to over 160 countries. So a great way to support the show. If in fact you've tried one of our other sponsors and they are not available internationally. So once again, that URL to get 15% off today, free shipping, free returns, movement.com, mvmt.com, slash capspace. Make sure you mention, uh, I shouldn't say mention, but uh, enter that slash capspace URL. Basically the same as mentioning that you came from us is, is what I was trying to say there. Movement.com slash capspace, mvmt.com slash capspace. Join the movement. All right, the Wolves are 16 and 11, four and three in their last seven, sporting a 0.9 net rating, which is 13 in the nba they have the fifth ranked offense and the 25th ranked defense so danny uh you mentioned that your question you wanted to look at uh before you started your research for this week was how long until we write off their defense and the answer was less severe than i thought that that was kind of because when i've watched them and this is a big issue when you drop in on teams is that you are very subject to how they look on that day and that's why we look at overall statistics and everything else because it can tell us a story that our eyes cannot. And their starting five, standard starting five, has done a nice job this year. They, you know, so that's Teague, Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, Taj, and Carl Towns. That group has a 102.4 defensive rating before their win today over the Mavericks. And that group with Tyus Jones has a defensive rating at 99, which is even better in nine, about 90 minutes. And so they've also been able to play that group about 25 minutes a game when they've all been healthy enough to play. And so, so you're sitting there going, 
going, okay, well, so that that group is defending better, at least in terms of the results, than you're going in. So then you're going, well, well, then what happens? And so one of the factors that's still in there is that they got walloped in those games when Jimmy Butler didn't play. So that goes on, you know, all the other players for it. And, and it's fair to say that that is an anomaly. But then the other thing that I wanted to look at was kind of, well, how are they looking in different combinations? And so, you know, Towns has, they, they, they're about a 109 defensive rating when he's on the floor. So that means that in those minutes outside of the starting five, he's, they've really struggled to defend. And that's certainly true. And some of those yeah. backup combined units. Yeah. And, and, and consider who he's playing with, right? Like you're putting mm-hmm. him out there at the start of the second quarter and start of the fourth quarter. That's what they've gone to in large part. He'll be out there with Crawford, maybe to be Tyus Jones as well. Shabazz Muhammad will be out there with that group a lot of the time also. Uh, and I mean, there are two guys that you can look at on this team who are actually any good defensively are Taj and Butler. And so if you're going to play Towns, unless, you know, it's one of those games where Tibbs just decides Jimmy's going to play the whole second half. Uh, then I mean Towns is really bad defensively too I mean you just there just aren't good defensive lineups um and that's when you don't play good defensive players you can't expect necessarily to defend very well and I mean and, and the biggest difference really in what we thought when we said hey you know what like Tom Thibodeau he could really get this team to defend is that you know Carl Towns just doesn't seem to have him in it have it in him right now if it ever did by the way do you think that like we owe Sam Mitchell a little bit of an apology for being like oh like how can he not get this team to defend when Tibbs haven't been able to do it any better yes I think we do and also also, we remember that Kevin Kevin Garnett, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, his rookie year, oh, the mentors teaching this guy, all this young prodigy, all of his tricks. And they were very good in the minutes those guys played together. From what I remember, like there was that stretch where I'm like, oh my God, Carl Towns is going to be the next guy. And KG was wonderful defensively that season. They still finished the year collectively 28th in defense. So yeah. some of it is also well, just- And KG a, barely played the second half of the right. year. He may have not even played at all, in fact. Right. And so, so you have all those things kind of running together and- something else that I want to see more from them just because I think it unlocks something different than being good defensively is that we've only had 95 minutes with Towns and Bielitsa together and yes that group is going to have some some serious weaknesses defensively but at least they can make the other team really really uncomfortable offensively in a way that I think could open stuff up for some of the other players but and they've been good in those minutes they just haven't gone to it much because of the way they've run the rotations one other note too is that I think Tibbs not a ton of creativity with the lineups this is from zach lowe's pod with kevin arnovitz on friday but worth repeating you know we always laud rick carlisle for playing two point guards together that's something that dylan and i talked about as could be a very effective regular season strategy tyus jones and jeff teague have played zero minutes together and jones has probably been their best bench player i would say maybe you could say it's jang uh but that's disappointing uh, and then another thing I looked at for them, inspired by the game against Dallas today, which they won barely at home, Dallas went with two point guards together at the end, Yogi Ferrell and J.J. Barea, which is basically the smallest aggregate height you could have in a backcourt combination, uh, I would think, uh, of anybody in the league. And that meant that one of those guys was guarding either Wiggins or Butler. And so they did actually go into the post nicely with Wiggins. He had uh, powered in for a, a jump hook. So I looked at the Wolves post-ups and you would think 
think considering that Towns might be if not the best post player in the NBA very close and then that Wiggins or Butler will basically always have the size advantage uh, one of those two guys they're actually ninth in the NBA in terms of post up frequency although they are uh, the most efficient team that's in the top half of the league in terms of frequency so that you could say they're really almost the best team in the NBA those the Spurs are up there too they actually lead the league in post up frequency so dare we say that they should actually like post up more than they do it's better than some of their other half court options and also like towns is a good passer too so it's not the hassan Whiteside throw it in and then just pray the shot goes in you know you can do more with it with them yeah and, and those guys can can back into like good position and get good shots mm-hmm. you know well and that's wiggins, something wiggins, wiggins is too doing. quick he's too quick to settle for sometimes for turnarounds when he has the size advantage but if he really tries to get into it and they go to that early especially on like a duck in type of play it can be extremely effective and when i was watching them late in the game today i was thinking about how to me the future of post-ups is something like what they were doing where you use it as a counter rather than as a primary thing unless you have somebody as good as towns and wiggins to his credit was attacking early he was working hard to get good position they also needed that from him because he was pretty abysmal offensively the rest of that game but it was good to see him rebound from that to say i have an advantage my team needs me and do a good job if they wanted to make a trade on this team, you know, to realistically upgrade, you know, we can't say, okay, you know, they're going to trade Carl Towns, you know, none of the big three. Like, what could they just, like, what are the weaknesses that they could improve on with this team realistically if they decided they wanted to try to get someone who might be available, you know, as, as more of just a short-term kind of fix? I don't think you can do too much to change the key tenets of their rotation. Like, I think the seven, in terms of the starting five, Tyus and Jang, I think those guys are pretty locked in. It also helps that some of the guys who are a part of that that you might want to move have bad contracts you know that's that's a challenge so what i would be looking at for them is somebody who is a low usage and maybe even so low usage that it hurts other teams but extremely high energy forward ideally be a three but those guys just are too hard to get and just somebody who's just out there to try to be like a tone setter defensively who just their maybe their energy is a little bit infectious like that sort of thing but the problem is there just aren't that many of that those guys around the league even the ones who are intensely flawed there aren't that many of them around the league yeah i think that's right you know and i mean they kind of ha- they have bielitsa though he's gonna be a restricted free agent at, at the end of the season but yeah i mean i think a, someone who can defend as a backup two or, or three give them a little more versatility as well i mean they tried early in the season closing with butler at the four but they really weren't able to get that fifth guy without gibson i mean gibson is by far the highest net rating on the team at, at 7.4 so the, he the feeling is he kind of has to be out there but you know some teams maybe that's just not going to work uh so yeah i mean i think just someone off the bench you know because muhammad has failed miserably they haven't gotten as much as they wanted to out of crawford and so yeah just getting one more guy in the wing who could give them something would be nice uh all right let's move on to the memphis grizzlies now oof 8 and 18 they are done uh almost certainly i mean i guess we said the heat were done last year and they at when they were uh 11 and 30 so i mean there's there's some possibility still uh, although that heat turnaround was unmatched so i think it's pretty fair to say that they are done at 10 games under 500 and still not trending in the right direction their only victory uh was a home win against minnesota and then have been relatively competitive uh, only lost by one at okc or i'm sorry at home against okc were you know that lost game by was 
a disaster. Yeah, yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. So we'll get into the rest of their fundamentals afterwards. I mean, so it was a funny one because now, due to our jobs, I follow a couple of people at minimum from every team. And when you're hearing it from both sides of a game, you're like, oh God, this has to be a train wreck. And then I watched the last, like, I don't know, eight, nine minutes of this game. And then overtime. And the, the end of it was basically both teams failing to execute. And that's why the game kept going on. It was, you know, bad fouls, missed free throws, blown coverages. And, you know, that was a game when Russ really struggled from the field. He ended up making a couple of big shots late. And there was a circumstance where Memphis, they had to get, you know, if they made two free throws, they could put away the game. They, I think it was Gasol was at the line, missed, missed one, missed the second, but they got the rebound and went to Tyreek. So they're still, so then it's like, if you make two free throws, you seal, seal the game. And Tyreek misses one of those. And then that's when they, when OKC goes down and ties it. And just a lot of failures of execution. It was just, it was, it, it was just a, it was a gross basketball game. And those happen, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's a part of our league, but it was just, it was frustrating. And then in overtime, Memphis just couldn't execute enough to, to, to win the game. And Russ had a couple big layups late. So yeah, it, it's hard for them because they're, they're in this circumstance where they're not so bad all the time that you can say, oh, you know, they have to pack it in. Like it's undeniable because like they had a big comeback against Cleveland in a game they ended up losing in this game they were up I think 15 in the in the second half like they were up they were up a fair amount so that's a little bit problematic because it's deflating you know you're losing a bunch of games but you're not losing them by enough that's forcing everybody to reevaluate I don't know I kind of think they should reevaluate I mean what would it take well, they for should these? yeah <laughs> but they're not being forced to yeah uh yeah and what do you think it would take for them to make the playoffs next year I mean Gasol is kind of Conley if Gasol and Conley are healthy and they'll have Jamichael Green under contract I, I you know Gasol that, might not be I, good anymore though I mean and not that's anywhere true. close to the he's not I don't think he's necessarily at an all-star level anymore I mean you just like Liam touched on this last week but it's continued to be a problem the defensive rating this season is 11 points per 100 worse with him in uh the defensive rebound percentage actually is now worse with him it used to be you know he didn't get a ton of defensive rebounds but he boxed out enough and so it was always better with him in uh the opponents are shooting way better at the rim when he is in the game i mean really all of the defensive markers are extremely negative uh so i mean they're gonna really they're probably gonna need a new coach as well he's gonna have to create a new relationship with gasol they are not going i guarantee you they're not going to get a like a coach who's probably as well regarded coming in as Fisdale when you look at where this team is going to be it you know a lottery team with declining talent and you know a, a player who's perceived to have gotten the last coach fired you know you're not exactly getting a rising star there and they're not going to pay a lot of money either if they're still paying Fisdale so it's like you know what do you do to next year and I just you know I'd be surprised unless you know they're going to lose Tyreek Evans who might he's probably been their second best guy um considering the amount of time that Conley has missed so they're gonna have to even like to get back to this year's level they'll probably have to make some improvements in terms of finding you know lightning in a bottle signing wise but I mean, one of the best things about their front office recently has been the fines that they've had on the wing. Well, Tyreek Evans is going to be a unrestricted free agent with, without Bird, right? He'll be non-Bird. James Ennis will have early Bird, and he'll be unrestricted. I mean, he could go a lot of different directions. They could repay him. But remember, they're also pretty close up against the luxury tax, and we don't expect them to move any of their major pieces. So they might end up, you know, losing a lot of that depth that has been so important. And they've drafted, you know, like they, they their failures in the draft, I think, have actually been 
underappreciated. You know, like guys like Jarrell Martin, who you know they did end up picking yeah. up that option. It looked like they were going to be they were going to be really low in terms of in terms of like rookie scale guys. They ended up that they kept him. We'll see whether that ends up working out or not. But so the hope is that Wayne Selden, when he gets to 100, can be a part of that rotation. But they're going to need an overhaul at the hardest place on the floor to overhaul. Yeah, uh, that's certainly an issue. Uh, what does their schedule look like the next couple of weeks? That might be a, a place to close if we can see, like, you know, how bad is it going to be if Conley's out another two weeks, which seems to be kind of the consensus here. Uh, what are they looking at uh, over that time? Because I mean, they're really, their defense is totally falling apart now. They're at a 111 defensive rating in their last seven. I mean, it's hard to expect, you know, they're playing at the level of one of the worst teams in the NBA lately here. So they're saving grace as it were is that they have a lot of games against the dregs they play the hawks the suns twice the lakers who they may or may not be in this group and the kings before the end of the year so if they can do well in those games and then they're gonna i assume they're gonna lose to the warriors even if that's a game when steph curry doesn't play though they have played golden state well at moments in the past they play miami on monday that'll be interesting they play at washington on wednesday so like they don't have a ton in terms of like nasty back-to-backs or anything because a lot of those games are against bad teams but i don't think there's much that they can hang their hat on you know like you're sitting there they have a game against boston you know of course if they won that it would be huge but i don't think they're going to beat boston so i think it'll be kind of a holding pattern they'll be 500 or a little bit below it and they'll have beaten beaten up on the suns and teams like that and so how you take that is a is a matter of ownership and i guess that's the most interesting thing here is is what's going to happen with ownership and when does it happen but that's something that we can't talk about because we don't know yeah by the way you mentioned their success against the warriors i believe they've beaten golden state more times since the start of last year than any other team which is remarkable since they didn't play them in the playoffs although i guess when golden state only lost once in the playoffs last year playing them in the playoffs is not a, a big advantage to, to get more chances they beat them three times yeah and the cleveland only beat them twice and boston has beaten them twice also actually those that's mm-hmm. the other uh the other one there all right let's uh and just so we have it i don't think we made it through their entire thing net oh, rating yeah, negative 3.0 22nd in the nba they are 23rd in offense 16th in defense so really you know hard to point to what they are doing well here let's get to the lakers the lakers are 10 and 15 2 and 4 since the last time we did this they have a negative 2.7 net rating which puts them 21st they are 28th in offense and 8th in defense while it is still taking time as expected i mean i talked about this the last 15 60 just that the fundamentals of their defense were a little bit too strong and they've i think they were like fifth then they're down to eighth now that's a little bit closer to realistic and another reason why that is happening is because they're sabotaging a little bit because they turn the ball over so much yeah that's been ugly and and when you have a young team and a young team that can't shoot so they're driving into crowds a lot you know that's uh what you're gonna get uh, meanwhile on defense uh, they've been struggling as well as you mentioned and we also mentioned that they shoot more shots at the rim than any other team not something that i would have thought but uh, with guys like julius randall brooke lopez has uh, been posting up more than we thought because he's only shooting 31 percent from three so he's he has not been uh quite as stretchy perhaps a uh, as people thought then we've seen guys like kuzma jordan clarkson has been excellent getting to the basket as well ingram starting to take more shots there so that's a uh, very interesting to see i mean 42 percent of your shots at the rim is pretty solid but uh they still have the 28th ranked offense so that's what happens when you're not able to hit any threes and when your shots at the rim are contested because you cannot uh, hit any threes 
Well, and when you're shooting 36% from mid-range, so it's not like they're really picking it up there. And it, yeah. that makes sense. They don't have great mid-range shooters and they don't have, you know, it's, they don't really have a go-to there. So the Lakers really, the challenge there is just seeing, okay, what, what, what pieces here make sense as a part of a very different hole? I think that's a healthier way to think about it just because that's, honestly, that's what the Lakers are trying to do too. You know, they want to add pieces probably through free agency that can fundamentally change this team and slide guys down. And so a guy who you can look at through that prism is Lonzo Ball. Ball, his shooting has gotten a little bit better. He, he shot 43% in terms of true shooting since the last time we did this, but his usage rate is actually even lower, 14%, which is far below. And they are, a, you know, they're turning the ball over less. They run more with him. So you have those kind of fundamentals and he's a wonderful rebounder for a card, but it's just kind of like, you have to see how this all fits together. Yeah. And because he never gets to the line, the team never gets to the line with him in the floor. I mean, if your point guard absolutely never shoots free throws, the guy who in theory is supposed to be the one generating a lot of your offense, that makes it pretty difficult. He is helping to push the ball. And this will, we rarely have ever mentioned LeVar Ball, but because he actually made a comment about real basketball, what did you think of his assertion that his son needs to play more in the fourth quarter and be more of the center of the offense? I think that a key part of what the Lakers are doing, unless you think you're going to break his confidence, which is an evaluation the coaching staff can make, they need to know what he has. And winning games is nice. It makes players feel good. You don't want to break the locker room, but he needs those reps. He has those reps in a lot of other ways, but playing fourth quarters against NBA caliber defense against NBA caliber defenders is important. And so, yeah, I do think he should play more. I, I wouldn't take it as the, you know, the criticisms of the coaching staff that he did, but I, I agree with the general premise for a different reason yeah and lavar certainly didn't mean in the sense of like oh you know he needs to take his lumps and he'll get better he's like oh you're losing because you're not playing in the fourth quarter but you know when he has a negative 12 net rating uh, over their last six games and uh, tim mcmahon tweeted out some good stats about how terrible lonzo has been in the fourth quarter and how terrible the team has been with him on the floor in the fourth quarter you know if you're actually trying to win games no i think it's clear to me that jordan clarkson is a better option there and they're certainly not going to take kcp off the floor with his defense so since we're talking about Lonzo let's say he keeps playing like this all year right and then let's say that LeBron James and other player X uh, we heard that Nerland's Noel wants to team up with him big surprise because he's now with with uh he's Rich like Ball. he's like other player like ZZZ at this point yes uh but you know the type of player that who you know kind of reputation as a head case has some talent that actually has like succeeded with LeBron and you know maybe the Lakers would have their room exception available for him uh wouldn't want to spend much more than that but in any event so let's say lebron decides to come there if ball plays like this all year no way you're gonna say hey this guy can be the starting point guard on a team that's trying to win like he's just not good enough there's no way like especially because lebron is gonna handle the ball the whole time lonzo not a good fit with lebron at all what do you think they could get for him in terms of trade like let's just say you know the x pick in the 2018 draft if lonzo just plays the same way all year i will note that the most logical way to do that is actually probably to use him as a sweetener to dump some of the salary they would need to dump to make that happen but if to you to use your exercise because it is a worthwhile one i i'm thinking late lottery does that seem fair i mean it, it's hard yeah. because you, you like you think that some of the some of the stuff that he's not doing well can be improved but you're taking a lot of risk there with with that other team and you're losing he, you know lonzo's the second pick so he's making more money he has one fewer year of team control and those guys are making less money so i mean I, that's kind of where i'm thinking maybe in that like eight to ten range 
something yeah. something around there well i mean to me if he plays like this all year i would certainly be very low on his chances of being a superstar you oh know, yeah right i mean so maybe it's possible he could get there but you just think the scoring is just gonna be too much of an impediment I mean, he's just so so far away and not only like can he not shoot but his shot just looks so busted and he's got all these weird impediments where he like can't even really shoot a floater and he can't shoot going to his right and like you know he would have to totally rework his shot i think would be the only way i think it'd be possible and you know we don't see that type of a reworking generally be effective um so yeah i think you're right i think if you'd say hey you know we believe this guy could be a quality starting point guard you know a ricky rubio type of player so and certainly i think you would have to say although rubio of course tore his acl and and was older than lonzo at the time but you know if you just looked at where rubio was before he tore his acl far more promising i think at that point than lonzo to the point where david Kahn was like oh yeah we gotta <laughs> preserve the uh the designated player extension for him we can't do uh kevin love um last thing on them here Randall continuing to play extremely well career high and true shooting 60% uh he's getting a lot more assisted makes at the rim that's helped and 72% at the rim which is also really good he's getting fouled a ton as well 22% of his shots are resulting in trips to the foul line He's shown some ability to switch. He's been playing 83% of his minutes at center. Probably not a starter, uh, you would have to say, unless he's playing power forward with a a really stretchy type of center. But he's going to want a good contract in restricted free agency. The Lakers probably don't, you know, unless they move both Dang and Clarkson. And Clarkson actually, you know, is starting to play better and maybe he could be movable or maybe they'd want to keep him on. But let's say they decide, all right, you know, we're just not going to be able to re-sign Julius let's just try and trade him do you think that would be realistic that they could get a trade for him that would be more valuable than just simply retaining his bird rights in the event that you know they kind of strike out a little bit in free agency and if so what teams kind of come to mind as maybe a team that could be interested in getting him as a restricted free agent and re-signing him to you know a solid contract as a restricted free agent first things first i think that's actually an underappreciated asset as we move forward is the idea of just wielding that because there are so few teams that have cap space and just understanding yeah there is a risk that the guy's just going to take a qualifying offer and then leave but that's still valuable you get a guy for a year it's hard for me to think that they'll get a really significant asset in return because part of the problem is that you're going to pay a guy you know you're gonna to have to pay a guy i don't think anybody's going to be expecting him to be a starter so you have all that kind of stuff running together another way to do it would be to have him be a sweetener for the jordan clarkson contract but if you're going to do that the lakers want expiring money back or at least right. less money back and so that then you're asking for a lot from the same team a team that needs a backup center a team that wants Julius Randle and is willing to spend a lot more next year than they are right now so the team that I I actually have a piece that has been submitted and not yet published and you don't know this advocating for the Boston Celtics to trade for him because they can use the restricted free agency process very aggressively with him and they're not running the same risk because they're a good enough team they could find a replacement if they had to so that's that would leave them with picks six and seven in the 2014 it would and that's exactly what I think they should do with Marcus smart as well and i expect them to do that with marcus smart so they could do it with two players at once and the other way that that could work is and this is in the piece too is they could basically try to build an one of your best concepts ever a human trade exception theoretically with marcus smart and julius randall theoretically to then acquire like anthony davis or whoever the next superstar is because they just don't have filler salary and so they could if they can get him squeeze him into a more reasonable deal that won't make randall happy but i don't think the, the celtics should care outside of them i mean brooke 
Brooklyn's always a logical option just because yeah, they and need I don't necessarily so see it see it in Boston personally. Um, it's it's hard. It's, it's it's an abstract fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure who he's going to play over there. Um, but yeah. So so you mentioned Brooklyn. I mean, they just always need more talent. You know, they don't have really like a four of the future, and Kenny Atkinson certainly wouldn't balk at, at playing him at center off the bench as well. Uh, the Mavs came to mind for me, um, as did the Pacers. Uh, maybe as a team that could use like an, an off the bench score although they really they already have Sabonis who's a similar guy so maybe not that would make me so sad for Sabonis yeah like to be like hey hey you just look look at how you're thriving yeah. with with spacing Here, now you get Julius Randle to point next to have fun well and there's plenty of teams I think that you know it'd be nice to have him on uh but that if they just trade expiring salary which of course the Lakers would have to have they are not 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 taking on any salary for next year that then there'd be too close to the tax like the Grizzlies could really use I think his offense he would be an outstanding fit with Gasol but the problem that you know it's sort of like a mini Zach Randolph who can duck in play some high low but then also you know run the floor and and play center move his feet a little bit better switch a little bit more than Randolph could but the problem there is all right if they're going to re-sign him to a market level contract and they gave up salary that was already expiring now they could run into the luxury tax prevention uh, potentially another team that I think maybe could use him as the kings because he's probably better than any of their you know billion centers and power forwards but you know i'm not sure i mean because you're also now throwing the idea of what are you really going to get back are you going to give up a first rounder for julius randall you know maybe but probably not especially not if you're a good a bad team like the kings and you have a good first rounder so i think when you consider all that it doesn't really make sense to trade him i mean it, you know sorry to come to that conclusion it's not a very sexy one but you know it's kind of the exercise that you have to go through i think it's very difficult to find a team team that is going to give you you know has a kind of middling asset uh and also that you know is going to give you back salary that is totally expiring so uh that's uh, about how i see it there uh anything you want to add before we move on yeah, there are a couple other teams in that mix, so I don't need to mention them. And and one just as a pure flyer that could do it is the Suns. But I think the Suns could be yeah. a candidate to just wait wait for him to eventually get his qualifying offer declined and then sign him then. Yeah, and that's another part of this too is, hey, Lakers, like you're not going to re-sign this guy. You're going to pull his qualifying offer. We'll just grab him then. Um, the Clippers are 9-15, and 2-4 and four since the last 15 in 60. They at least have not gotten destroyed as badly as uh, – their former playoff rivals in Memphis negative 2.5 net rating is 20th in the NBA they have the 11th ranked offense still but the 28th ranked defense and I think a, a lot of that is just I mean you look at some of the guys that they're playing DeAndre to me has not been the same guy I think he's always been someone whose effort really waxes and wanes and it's been waning quite a bit of late I mean we saw even in that game where he had a crap ton of offensive rebounds and remember he's going into a free agent season as well uh he really you know was not a, a defensive impact in that game we did for the tour nba show against the wolves and then they really don't have anyone else you could look at as a quality defender at this point yeah they're missing kind of two big boxes right now with their team because they're a lot of their good defenders are out and a lot of their best playmakers are out i mean when you have blake griffin and tay dosich and patch beverly all out so that's putting a lot on the shoulders of lou williams who is in the all too familiar situation of being the best offensive player on a non-playoff team that's in staples center i don't think any of us expected this to be where this went but it is where we are now he was absolutely massive in their their win over the the wizards and i i will i promise i will not spend the entire time 
time on the clock malfunction, though I honestly could go on a 10-minute rant about it. But Lou Williams was fantastic. They pulled the Kings and actually had not scored when they pulled starters. They were down 13 nothing, and then Williams came in, played a huge part, not only in the run that got them back in the game, but then in and including the game-winning shot, what helped win them the game in the fourth quarter. <clears throat> and this is a team we said, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, I know they're losing Chris Paul, but they got Blake, they got Teodosic, they're going to start Teodosic and Beverly together. Like, this team is going to be a pretty good passing team. Well, yeah, when all three of those guys are out, they have absolutely nobody on this team who can pass. And I think that's been a major impediment for them. But with Lou putting up these crazy numbers in some of these games, I mean, he was crazy in that Minnesota game. They ended up losing in the second half. He had 42, he had 37 uh, as well recently. Um, and then he absolutely changed that game against the Wizards uh, when they scored 62 points in 20 minutes. And I also thought that Gallo, uh, he was looked really bad. He was only 2 at 13 against the Wolves, but uh, started to get back to kind of being Galloway, a very Gallo line with 25 points, but only 8 of 19 from the field, 7 of 7 from the foul line against the Wizards. And his shot selection wasn't great, but you know it's not like they have a ton of scorers out there right now. He also looks to have very little explosion at the moment. Uh, you know, he's since he's come back he's tried to go in for some of those signature two-hand dunks and like come up short at the room and then the one dunk he did get he did the like all right i'm gonna hold it on the very end of my fingertips and like <laughs> barely snake it over the rim uh i guess we can call that maybe the omer ashik uh but you know at least having him back helps having him at the four helps them quite a bit so I expect them to start playing a little bit better, especially when Taya Dosich comes back in these next couple of games. You know, maybe they'll kind of start paying it, playing it more of, you know, like a 45% win percentage pace from here on out until Blake returns. And, you know, maybe it'll be more like 40% of their games. They've had a few home games lately when they've looked better. Um, the other thing that's been a big issue for them too is just still how many minutes they've had to give to guys who are just, you know, not playing at like a quality NBA level right now. And some of those guys could have eventually be contributors i mean they've been relying more on cinderius thornwell and Jawan evans than one would expect but and and then of course you have jamil wilson and cj williams and you know they those guys that are basically off the scrap heap for uh, although them. i will and, say this uh wilson mm-hmm. he actually like looks like a real player out there he does he looked and, great in the preseason you know and he's actually taking 8.3 three-point attempts for 36 minutes uh and he's hitting 44 percent uh that may not continue but he was playing as you mentioned as a stretch for during the preseason only played in six games so far he's on a, a two-way contract at 78 minutes so you know let's not go crazy here i mean he's only eight out of 18 from three so i should, probably should have said that rather than the 44 percent. but you know he, he's uh, and he's also age 27 already so not a ton of upside there to explore but He's looked better than some of their other guys. I mean, they desperately had needed a little bit of more shooting at the four. I mean, because they were playing lineups with like Harold and DeAndre together at times. Um, you've watched a little bit more of them than I have. Still, anything else you want to say before we uh, move on here at, you know, our like two hour and 10 minute mark of recording? Uh, the only thing I want to mention is that they have a pretty tough schedule coming up in, in the immediate. They have a games against like the Spurs and, and so we'll see how they do in that. Like, it could force kind of the the revelation of that, oh, maybe we're doing it. But I still think that the, the optimism in that organization is, hey, we haven't we haven't gotten to do it when we're full strength. So I don't think I don't think they're going to reevaluate where they are, even though that would be the best tact. So let's move on to Houston 20 and four 
just an absolute juggernaut. 5-0 and since the last 15 and 60. Uh, they are second in overall net rating, but as I recall from looking at Cleaning the Glass recently, in non-garbage time, they actually have the number one net rating. They have the second ranked offense and shockingly enough, uh, the fifth ranked defense and not really anything in their performance defensively that looks that unsustainable. I do think that they will eventually be able to be exploited on one end or the other by the best teams because, you know, Tucker and and Bob Mute are great defensively, but, you know, a little bit limited offensively. And then obviously if they go with Anderson, it it gets a a little bit more difficult, although Anderson has lost weight and has looked much better as a defensive player. Uh, But you, you saw their game against the Blazers, what did you want to add on that? So I talked a little bit about that in the Portland section, but one stat that Kevin Pelton had that I enjoyed was that in the first seven clutch possessions, which is coincides with when they went to that Tucker at center lineup and getting the switches, they had a 228 offensive rating because they basically scored on every single time it was CP or James Harden just creating, whether it was creating for themselves or creating for somebody else. Usually it was for themselves. And they had to come back in that game because Portland made a ton of shots in the third. I didn't really see much in that that was you know the Rockets being bad defensively especially because I have been watching them more closely as they've pieced it together so I I think they're a great team I think they're the either the best or the second best team in the league they're the best team right now but I think that they're performing at a historic level right now what I I was going to was there they'll be the second best team later but they're the best team now just because there's a margin between what the Warriors are now and what they will be and they match up well in that I think they know what they are and that they and what has been so impressive for me is the idea that the support pieces they have make complete sense with the rest of the roster. So you talked about, you know, there, there'll be exploitable things with Ryan Anderson. Well, they have a bunch of other forwards they can play. If, if he doesn't work, they can try other things. They will have a different identity, but they can do that. They have different options at center. They have Nene, they have Clint Capella. They can go with some of these smaller lineups too. It would be great if they had another guy who could create as a guard, which would be more of just like a luxury thing during the regular season. I think that would help give those guys more rest but outside of that i mean you can see the playoff rotation for this team right now one thing that's interesting about them and this is part of why they fare better in the non-garbage time stats on cleaning the glass they've basically got exactly nine players on the team maybe you could throw Tarek black in there as well but uh their top nine players all have 7.5 net rating or above and their top eight players are all over 10 including nene is 21 eric gordon 17 chris paul 16 harden 13 and then they are negative 17 or below with the bottom six guys on their roster, basically their garbage time units. And so there's certainly been a lot of criticism of D'Antoni of like, I can't believe how many minutes they're playing Harden. And yeah, could probably stand to take those guys out a little bit earlier. And they're definitely stat chasing. They definitely want Harden to win the MVP. They need to chill out with that. But it's a fair point that they need some guys who just can just come in there in garbage time and not just like piss the game away immediately, you know, to where like you actually do feel 100% safe up 20 with seven minutes left and you know I mean they've got guys like Demetrius Jackson and Bobby Braun and Zochi and Isaiah Cannon Troy Williams I mean those are not guys who even have ever played like major roles in the NBA and certainly are not at that point now so I think they could just if they had a way to acquire and it's too bad that they didn't keep uh, Isaiah Taylor instead of some of these other guys Taylor's playing well I think he actually could work at this but they really need to 
someone who can be semi-competent like if they want to rest Paul or they want to rest Harden and come in and they would still be able to be okay with those guys on the floor because they really just don't have anyone who's a, a backup point guard right now they have enough centers because they have Black, Capella, and Nene together but they don't have anybody who can handle the ball other than those two guys well I guess Gordon you could throw in there too but still like the, you know who's just can come in and, and make the mop-up crew at least semi-competent it would really help them and we'll, we'll see where they go but something else I want to talk about at least a little bit because this came up so much at the end of that Blazers game is that Harden has been completely insane as an isolation player slash scorer this year he has yeah, had and that's what we complained about too at the end of games is that you know it really would get stagnant but they seem to have done a better job as you mentioned in that Portland game of like getting him into favorable matchups for those isos they were it was a lot of times because of those low resistance switches it was Vonley or a, a rolled ankled Damian Lillard and he was just smoking those guys he made Vonley hit the floor twice and so 8.3 isolation possessions per game 1.3 points per possession which is absolutely insane 1.5 on isolation jumpers without a drive 1.2 on isolation drives and and I, I mean so for point of reference he was about one point per possession last year so this is like ridiculous this isn't the sort of thing that you expect to persist but it's a part of why he is the mvp right now we appreciate it for what it is and it's a part of why the rockets are such a an amazing regular season team because it is true that a lot of the best isolation defenders will be on the teams they face later on but he can beat anybody but the best because he's incredible when it's all said and done who do you think will be considered to have had the better career harden or westbrook i think by casual fans it could very well be westbrook i mean the triple doubles that's something nobody can take away from him but harden Harden's going to age better. Harden's going to age better. Harden, like, you put him on a team and their offense is going to sink. And he's a guard. You wouldn't expect them to be dominant defensively. So I think Harden will have the better career. I, it would be an interesting question. I would have to go back and think about it a lot about who has had the better career to this point. But I would say that Harden will have the better career. Yeah, that's a, a very interesting question. I mean, I think that Westbrook was clearly better up until 2014-15. And, the, you know, they came into the league a year apart from one they're basically i think the same age uh i think maybe westbrook's a little bit older he might be a year old but it's it'll be an interesting question i do think harden will have the, the longer career due to his shooting ability i think he's probably a superior passer to westbrook as well and also that i think he's just going to be on better teams going forward and well andy's less reliant on athleticism right right and, and, and in part due to the shooting the foul drawing craftiness the, the big body and you know westbrook has been a better defensive player though neither of them of course have been that good but you know obviously the reason we asked that question is because that was kind of the decision that needed to be made and at the time you know Harden was nowhere near the player that Westbrook was I certainly understand well, and, if you and, decided and, one of them had to go why you would pick him but and and the most cruel irony of that is that whether I think it's an even clearer case if you were to say which one of these players would have been a better fit with Kevin Durant and in that case to me it's even more clearly James Harden because Durant is more capable of cleaning up his his flaws and the fact of having them together a stagger would have worked I think playing those two guys offensively would have worked too and also certainly Harden has been helped by his organization I think more than Westbrook 
Westbrook has just in terms of the pieces that have been put around him and the shooting threes and he just fit in so perfectly he's had D'Antoni as the coach the last couple of years and uh you know Rick uh no actually no Adelman was never there I don't think when, when he was there but uh any of them interesting question let's move on to the Denver Nuggets 14 and 12 three and four since the last 15 and 60 negative 0.7 net rating is 18th in the NBA they are eighth in offense that has come back after a struggle early although perhaps helped by the fact that Millsap has been out and they have the 24th ranked defense that has been uh, quite on the wane since Millsap got hurt and then in the five games without Nikola Jokic negative 3.0 net rating they are two and three in those games uh 110 on offense which is awesome 113 on defense less than awesome I am impressed that they have that 110 on offense without Jokic I mean they have yeah and without Millsap as well yeah yeah especially and so now now they haven't played anybody they've played they beat the Lakers at home they lost at Dallas in kind of a blowout they lost at New Orleans kind of a blowout then they won at Orlando and Orlando has has been terrible lately defensively and then uh they played the Pacers so I mean these are not like great defensive teams that they're playing yeah they're not exactly gangbusters and and the game today was fascinating for a lot of different things because Malone actually went small to start he started Will Barton at the three Wilson Chandler at the four and Chandler absolutely went off he he had maybe the best game of the season in his first quarter because he had he had 14 points got a couple of threes got a couple and ones was active in transition and the Pacers unsurprisingly recovered and one of the things that helped you know help Denver push out to another lead because they they were up I mean they were up 114-106 with about three minutes to go in this game and a big part of that offensively was Trey Lyles Lyles was just dominant in terms of pick and pop he had a couple of nice offensive rebounds on hustle plays but the trade-off was there at that point and then became exacerbated in those final three minutes that he was getting just worked defensively on switches oh yeah on switches not able to protect the room and he just i've never i shouldn't say never but it is rare that you'll see a player just have who you know looks i mean he doesn't look like he especially when you consider how lithe he is offensively you know he doesn't look like oh man this guy is just so plotting and then just he just plays with so little force defensively it's unbelievable i mean like oladipo was like going right through him at the rim you know on these switches or just getting crossed up and then lyle's just you know way late contesting just wide open jumper at the free throw line for oladipo and oladipo was unbelievable 47 points in the overtime victory as it was a 19-0 run for the pacers as you mentioned the nuggets were up eight with under three minutes to, to go and i did find it notable i mean i guess you go with what you think your best lineup is and lyle's was on fire and in, in he had three three-pointers some pretty tough looks early in the fourth but it's not like they were going to him that much late uh and then to give up a 19-0 run they didn't score in overtime until under a minute remained and just never make a substitution during the entire 19-0 run I mean that's that's pretty remarkable to me I think at some point you got to start trying something different I mean and yeah they were getting scored on they had no answers for Oladipo they were switching he was killing their switching uh they got into the post Miles Turner was going right at Gary Harris this by the way was uh for those people who are trying to tell me that Harris is like a really good defensive player watch the film of this game and, and tell me if you still think that I mean it's only one game but he was uh not effective as 
as a switch defender. He was not effective in conventional pick and roll defense against Oladipo. And, you know, they're going against Farid at center. It wasn't like a great defensive unit. He doesn't have great talent around him, but he's definitely, he's not helping to elevate it, his teammates at all either. In any event, would have liked to have seen some substitution. They did not close with Jamal Murray. They actually went with Lyles at the four, Chandler at three because Lyles was on fire. But I think they might have thought to replace him. Uh, and they were going with Farid as a switch guy and he was okay. Uh, got one of the few stops actually on Oladipo late. But if you're going to switch, like you really, you can't have Trey Lyles out there the way he was just absolutely getting killed. And then they just couldn't score either. I thought that their offense down the end, Danny, was really pretty ugly as well. Ugly in terms of results, but more importantly, ugly in terms of of process. Like they weren't doing much out there. You're just kind of sitting there going, well, well, if this worked, what was it going to be? And part of that is, you know, not having Jamal Murray on the floor. Jamal Murray can create a lot. And Will Barton is a... Or any point guard. They didn't have Moutier out there either, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, they were playing. Yeah, they're playing without either of those guys is like will barton is i i I think he embraces chaos well but i would be interested to see just kind of how he when when teams settle down and they get into those especially in the feedback loops where the other team is scoring so much that you're not getting transition opportunities and whether that creates a problem and just so when they were in those half court situations they just weren't doing anything and they weren't getting anything yeah and eventually the pacers were switching on them and while lyles got into the post a couple of times they kind of went away from that and really were stuck trying to create one-on-one Chandler Barton really just uh, were not able uh, to get anything done uh interesting for Barton you know you mentioned he started at small forward in this game he's actually played 70 percent of his minutes at small forward and although he played shooting guard in the stretch of this one they have a plus 1.5 net rating with Barton at small forward which is not bad now in part that's because he's playing small forward mostly against bench units uh a negative 11.5 with him at, at shooting guard so that'll be something interesting to monitor i mean barton is really too small to be a full-time small forward but they have been most effective with him there and then the last thing you want to talk about is just like they cannot set a decent screen these days it seems like it was really frustrating in the early part of this game and then came again later because both lyles and mason Plumley, they're not such great screen slippers that they really create gravity in that way you know like well, there are certain Lyles, guys to some degree i mean if he shooting he the ball yeah but but i agree yeah. you're trey lyles you're not like he he is not known for having the greatest attitude and, and you know he, he's he's definitely rolling for his own offense first when in reality as you know which i think is where you're going with this that like he needs to get his guy open first right you and and for a lot of players we've talked about this on i think we actually talked about it on the mailbag recently where screeners oftentimes actually create a better look for themselves just because that separation has a chain reaction on a defense so if you don't create that separation then it's just harder it doesn't make all these things work and it's very different for you know like a truly elite guy to slip a screen and 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 there and you can do it situationally like marvin williams does a really nice job of it but you have to actually make contact most of the time and, and separate yourself and their guys aren't good enough to do it the way that they're approaching it and you know treat it like a you're a hustle player like you're trying to you're 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 playing a part in the system and it was it was intensely frustrating in elements of this game. And that's not to say you have to do it every time, but do it a whole heck of a lot more than they are. 
last point although Plumley actually started in this one Farid is closing was closing the game in part because they felt like they had to switch Plumley only played 21 minutes and Farid who's like just supposed to be this bad contract and supposed to get dumped he's actually making about the same per year as Plumley is the fact that they signed Plumley to this crazy contract and now like Farid is actually deemed by Malone to basically be a better backup center option or or starting center option closing center option than Plumley. that's not good it shows shows really that uh, and i'm glad that you're coming around to uh the misery of watching Plumley too uh because you know it's just watching guys who think that they're way better at dribbling and passing than they actually are is like you know kind of miserable um it's infuriating it's really what it is uh, and especially because again this is a team that has like a lot of really good players who can do that type of stuff uh let's get to dallas now to wrap things up they are seven and twenty two and five since we last checked in and they're actually only a game and a half behind memphis amazingly enough uh negative 4.2 net rating is 26th in the nba though they've actually been a little bit unlucky 26th in offense 19th in defense right about where they've been dennis smith uh missed this one and i think at least is slated to miss one more if not more than that with a a hip injury Uh, what did you want to talk about with them i think it was yesterday i was looking at something related to to maybe it was this or something else and i was just thinking this it was a weird thought it was let's say they decided right now that they're not a playoff team that that's that's just not what they are i mean they realized that at the start of the season yeah but so let's but let's you know whatever that whatever that entails does it change anything in terms of their personnel do they play guys in different minutes do they trade guys because from what i can tell the players that you could theoretically because they have a lot of guys on expiring contracts and then the guys that aren't on expiring contracts most of those are either immovable if they're long-term you know like Dwight, well not Dwight Powell's not immovable he's just not great to move and or Wes Matthews is complicated or they're guys they want to keep and so so basically what I was thinking about is just like well where where is this train going like where are they going with this and what I realized was a real linchpin in this is the guy who hasn't played for them Seth Curry because Seth Curry at the end of this year they will only have early birth rights and what that means is that this is the same hassan whiteside problem except that seth curry is not nearly as prodigious as hassan whiteside both guys who who were you know had their had their time with the kings and are made made more success somewhere else and so with seth the challenge is if you can't get him for the if you want to use it as a rough calibrator the mid-level exception so it's it's about eight million i think is where the line is going to be next year it's 105 percent of the estimated average player salary for this year or the actually it's 105 for the average next year anyway so if he's going to make more money than that they have to use cap space if they want to re-sign him and then that totally changes the way they think about everything else next offseason yeah i don't think he's going to make more money than that like who what other team is going to spend more than mid-level exception money on him it's hard to, it's hard to think of it especially because it looks like there are more point guards than there are suitors at the higher levels so like let's say we're I, i've had this conversation with you and with jared dubin about who the hell is going to pay Isaiah Thomas? Like, if you have that question, then Seth Curry is obviously way further down on the totem pole than he is. Yeah, so I, you know, I wouldn't be as worried about it necessarily. And they, they, he will at least have a, eh, you know, a cap hold that'll be a little bit lower than what his eventual salary might be, but uh, not much. He'll, he'll be his cap hold will be a little bit over four million, one hundred and thirty percent. If you're an early bird status, and he's making about three million this season. Um, yeah, I mean, Wes Matthews, Powell. I mean, there's not really a ton that changes 
changes. I mean, certainly Noel is someone that you would think at some point they'd want to play, but you know, I think it, it seems like you know, there has to be more to it. I mean, they've been so bad with him on the floor, despite uh, Mark Cuban's fawning pronouncements about Noel. Hard to say that you know his attitude has, has been that great. You would think so. Maybe that'll change at some point. Maybe they would be willing to just trade him because they just don't think they're going to get anything out of him at, at this point, or just even release him. You know, you might even be there with him because you know it's not like he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year anyway so why why even keep him around at this point i mean if it, i mean that's you know maybe he like gets it and he starts trying and then they i mean but let's if the guy's attitude has been this bad to this point and his performance has been this bad that you can't even play him if you motivate him by benching him enough that he starts playing well then what are you going to give him a big money contract because a guy who naturally has such a miserable attitude and wasn't playing hard and wasn't executing did so for four months when he had the specter of a contract over his head you know it really seems like this is getting close to the point now where you might as well just release him throw a bone to rich paul and and let's have everyone move on and let him you know try it somewhere else because it does not seem to be working here with uh with rick carlisle yeah, that is a piece they can move, and it's also hard to think of them really getting much of an asset for him. I mean, there are teams that could roll the dice with Noel, but say, oh, we're going to give up, you know, like a great second round pick even for yeah, him. Because, and he he has to approve any trade, obviously, and you don't mm-hmm. get any bird rights when you get him. So it really, I would be very surprised if a team wanted to give up any kind of major uh, second round pick for him, even at this point. He's just, you know, he what did he get? Two seconds and Justin anderson last year um all right to finish up with them harrison barnes played almost exclusively as a four last year but he's playing more small forward this year but the mavericks don't really score well when he's at at either position when he's at small forward that basically means that dirk is in the game and they've had lineups with barnes uh claber and uh dirk uh, all together overall barnes's game he's getting to the foul line a little bit more he's shooting about 33 percent more uh, free throws one advantage that he had last year is he never turned it over and he still is in single digit turnover rate which is solid but he's not at like six percent which is what he was last year setting guys up a little bit more than he had been in the past uh and he's also really improved his defensive rebound rate 21 percent defensive rebound rate uh after all he's been statistically in his own individual rebounding uh, not great he's really basically been around 13 percent for his career until then so 21 percent is very solid uh especially considering he's playing more small forward uh dallas is a solid defense rebounding team and, and he's helped there uh but really for the offense like it changes shockingly little whether he's at small forward or power forward usually your offense gets better when you have guys playing up but you know because dirk is out there when he's playing small forward i mean that's not really going to change the offense that much if he's out there at power forward and dirk is out of the game we could see that shift a little bit just as the rotations change when they get Seth Curry back. We mentioned that they went to Berea and Yogi Ferrell down the line against Minnesota just because they needed more shot creation out there. And so having somebody else who's capable and Dennis Smith missed that game yeah. and he will miss their next game By the game way, they're well. better without Dennis Smith on the floor, I think. Like, yeah, right now. You know, he's a rookie. You know, we, we've, he's, he's inefficient. Very few rookies are positive players. Right. He is. I and mean, he's we, awful we both believe defensively. In, he's so bad yeah, defensively. We, we believe in what he can be that is different than what he is yeah and uh later this week we will talk much more about what we believe he and many others can be when we do our top prospects list but that will wrap it up for today thanks so much for listening 
and uh, we will talk to you all next time gonna do our small forward rankings tomorrow we had a fun time doing the shooting guard so we'll do that uh tomorrow uh, anything you want to uh, talk about before we go yeah a couple quick plugs i hopefully will have the time to finish editing my real jam radio with tom haberstrow we had a fun conversation and i just i'm in the process of editing it that'll be out soonish and then i i have a new piece that i'm hoping to have out by the time our podcast tomorrow our next podcast comes out talking about one angle of the julia Okafor trevor booker trade so that that should be out hopefully by that point and then i wrote a piece for the athletic on basically the warriors options with kavon looney now that they declined his option and while it is a warriors piece because i wrote it for the athletic bay area it could easily be applied to okafor to mario hazonia or all those other guys that got their options declined all right then we will talk to you all tomorrow till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.